Hi, and welcome back to Kessel Run Relay, a Star Wars podcast. Our episodes drop at the beginning of each week, and you can follow us on social media. Our links will be in the description. This week, we will be discussing and reviewing Padawan by Kirsten White with some special guests. But before we get to that, uh, we'll do our introductions this week. Hello, I'm Emily. My pronouns are she, her. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Stardust M and on TikTok at Stardust M. My brainworm of the week is my sweet boy, Cassian, is home. I got my Andor Funko Pop this week, so he is mine. Finally, I'm very happy about him. Uh, hey. Cassian. <laughs> so true. Um, so hello, one month. Everyone. One month. One month. <laughs> Um, hi everyone, my name is Hayden. I use she, her pronouns. Uh, you can follow me on TikTok at taika.ytd and on Instagram and Twitter at mcuytd. And I have one brainworm of the week and then a bonus brainworm of the week. So my first and main brainworm of the week is canon ADHD havers Han Solo and Baylor Balance. Yes. Um, Han Solo, he's just like me for real. We can't focus. We really don't care about anything un unless it's something we care about. He's just like me for real. And then I tweeted about that. And then Ethan Sachs, uh, the writer of Bounty Hunters, for our listeners who don't know, he replied because I think he I think he thinks I was talking about Valance because he said that his human sense of concentration was blown up on the battlefield. Therefore, directly stating that both him and Han Solo have ADHD. They're, they're just like me for real. So, Liv, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, oh, wait, I forgot my bonus you one. Forgot your bonus. <laughs> <laughs> my bonus is my Lego Han Valance figures that I don't have with me today, <laughs> but they're in my room, I promise. You're holding mine hostage, too. I so. am, until you yeah. come in what? 18 days. 18 days. <laughs> Anyways, um, hi, I'm Liv. Um, I use she, her pronouns. You can find me everywhere at Olivia Amadala. Yeah. Um, my brain worm of the week is um, Baylor Valance being kicked up in both camp and legends. <laughs> Influenced by the issue of um, the Star Wars comics. I can't remember what issue it is, but like the one from the 70s. 29. 29, okay. <laughs> He's wearing like a fuchsia pink jumpsuit on the front cover and like that man is taped up taped up I should have brought it and shown you guys but we can provide a visual aid in the replies of the tweet that we posted mm -hmm. with but his ass is voluptuous I don't know I'm, I'm so serious no no you're 100% correct yeah it is okay yeah <laughs> Uh, now we'll have, we have very special guests this week, uh, from Star Wars English class. So Fern and Julia, do you want to introduce yourselves? Do you want to go first? Do I go first? Um, you can go first. Okay. Hi, I am Fern. You can follow me on TikTok at alwaysfern. I am on Twitter and Instagram, but I don't, I don't just give that out. You have to find it. It's like a <laughs> treasure hunt. Um, my brain, uh, my pronouns are they, she, um, and my brainworm of the week is Gandalf coded Ahsoka Tano. Mm. 
I think we should be talking about this more. I think the parallels are great. I don't really know what they mean, um, but I'm excited to go down that rabbit hole and find out. I love that. Does that make Anakin uh, Saruman? Uh, I can't go there right now emotionally, okay. but I will get back <laughs> to you on that Because like, you know, like no, uh, no, Saruman as he should have been, right? Right, like, exactly. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. That's my thought. Hi, um, <laughs> I'm Julia. Uh, I use she, her pronouns. Um, I am on TikTok at Julia Christine 77, but not really right now because um, look, I love you all very much. And this is how we all met, but it's, it's rough right now. Oh, like, let's be rough. honest. I, I redownloaded mm -hmm. the app and I was like, I should get back on here make silly little videos. And then like the first 10 videos I saw were like, just screaming and yelling and I was like oh okay um so I will eventually return uh, at Julie Christine 77 um that's it I am slowly whittling down my social media so that I only have TikTok and now I can't even really do that but very important I should say my dog Buster has Instagram uh at Buster Cairn C-A-I-R-N um if you hear him screaming throughout this episode I'll try to mute my mic but he is getting close to a thousand followers on Instagram and I'd really like him to get there. So wow. um, he deserves all the success in the world. Um, and I would also oh, yeah. like him to start paying rent. So if I could get some <laughs> like chewy brand deals or something from him, that would really help. Um, my brainworm of, <laughs> brainworm of the week is uh, sexy anime Prince Eric Axel Greylark from the upcoming <laughs> Star Wars uh, novel Convergence. Um, they released uh, the concept art for this character. Um, it's everything I've ever wanted. Um, He's so he fun. Is, he is a skater boy, and he's been paired up with a very serious Jedi, um, and they're both really hot, and oh, we can't predict what will happen. Oh, no, they're opposites, and they have to work together, and they're both really hot young people. What will happen? <laughs> um, anyway, he looks like he just, anyway, he's got a great cape. Axel Greylark, love of my life. I can't wait for you to be revealed to have a heart of gold. Um, that's, yeah, he's all I'm thinking about right now. So that's what I've got going on. He has me blushing and kicking my feet for real. <laughs> no, I saw it and I was like, he, <laughs> like, it was like, it was actually kind of, it was actually kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Just giggling, like, <laughs> yeah, like that's, it's, it's, it's kind of like they, they, they got someone, they were like, this is the reaction we need people to have. And the artist was like, I got it. And they just did it and they succeeded. And I'm really impressed. Yeah. As soon as I saw that thumbnail of the Higher Public show, uh, I knew what was going to happen. And speaking of, <laughs> uh, three of the five people on the Zoom right now were in the introduction, the introductory part of the High Republic show. That's true. Yes. Uh, None of us were supposed to be there. We were the sole I didn't a single High Republic book. If that <laughs> I was in there, we were simply there because we were all cosplaying solo. And the solo meetup was, I think, fifteen minutes, half hour before. And then I, we saw all these High Republic cosplayers started started come out. And I like, I like seen something on the interwebs about a High Republic cosplay meetup, and I was like, oh, so they're doing that. And then out walked the fucking five authors to come stand directly in front of us, and we are in the shot of the entire <laughs> like author portion <laughs> of the thing. And Liv will tell you, I. <laughs> We'd you can also see Hayden just... crying. 
we had just gotten lunch, quote unquote, because what we ate for lunch at Celebration was not lunch. Just snacks <laughs> and caffeine. Yeah. Liv had a caramel macchiato and confirmed that Kira is a car- caramel 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 macchiato girly. And I see Charles Soul kind of, I see him from across the fountain. So <laughs> I, I hold her arm and I start like shaking. It's like, that's Charles Soul. Violently <laughs> shaking. <laughs> yeah. It was violent. <laughs> and her, I didn't realize that she, that I had grabbed the arm with her caramel macchiato. Oh, no. So it started going everywhere. And then she had to tell me like, stop, stop. And then I was very, very close to passing out the entire time I was there. Hmm. I, I barely remember meeting Daniel Jose Older <laughs> because I was trying so hard not to pass out, but <laughs> it was, it was, it was a moment. Now we have having... on video. So. Yep. I think he spotted love... having a very lovely conversation lovely. with Daniel Z- Jose Older about <laughs> about Midnight Horizon, which Hay and Liv cannot relate <laughs> oh, to. <God. laughs> I love that you guys each sort of like introduced a new reaction image to the internet. Your <laughs> yes, yes. Can individually be used to signify a different emotion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's one. <laughs> There's one picture where it's me, Emily, uh, Kels, Mac in the background, and Ari dot, at Ari.in.space, uh, who was on our podcast last week. And we are all looking grief-stricken, like smiling, trying so hard not to cry in the background. I don't know where Liv was in that, but she was with us, I promise. I saw her myself. Hidden. Hmm? Oh, yeah, hidden. I was hiding someone. My favorite is the one of me and Jay, where we both just look like so tired so done like we don't want to be there <laughs> it was those 15 minutes were a lot <laughs> a really lot to process. <laughs> so yeah maybe you will have that same experience when you go to a uh, celebration next year because I know yes. Fern was at celebration this year, just not on that day. But I Julia would I'm yeah. like just a little bit seething with jealousy. It's fine. Just the <laughs> yeah. tiniest, tiniest bit. I think Emily, you know, I can't wait. Um, I I I'm I'm gonna have to um how do I say this in a way that isn't a crime? Follow closely Kyle Soller for you. <laughs> um, um he Kyle, lives we're in just trying to be your friend. We're, we don't we just want to say hi it's not weird if you not don't weird. think about it that much Kyle if you don't think about we're the for a while we were like the only two people on the internet keeping up with you and Andor yeah it's don't not weird the fact that we had a we knew when and you when you had and hadn't posted on Instagram if you just forget <laughs> that part we're very and normal we're very people. invested in your hairstyle yeah and beard and we're trying just trying to glean so much knowledge from it um, and, and and now we're just trying to be silly little hat enjoyers. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great little hat. I can't wait to have one. Yeah. I hope they start selling them at Galaxy's Edge. Like oh, they they sell the if they ones. don't, if they don't, like what why? Like what's the point? If it, uh, if it merchandise, it's all about merchandise. Let me buy it. Let me buy Kyle's silly little hat. <laughs> it's I'm a fascist. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, look at my little hat. <laughs> One thing Vampire loves to have a little, they, a little they fascist love hat. A little hat. <laughs> They're all about those accessories. Exactly. They do it exactly. well. I hate to say, I hate yeah. to say, but they 
No. Critic, that's like, oh, you know, the I hate to hear it, but Critic <laughs> has like some of the most drip out of them. Like, yeah. <laughs> we were talking He's last night about Krennic's nocturnal carousing. Mm-hmm. Krennic's nocturnal carousing. So How fun. did he still get A's? Galen <laughs> Ursa wants to know. <laughs> uh, I like how in Catalyst everyone's like, how the fuck is he in this like gifted <laughs> <laughs> program? <laughs> every night he goes out just partying hard anyway and then getting into fights on galen's behalf mm-hmm. what an incredible what an incredible man i know he's bad but i do love him a man of he's many facets yeah he's got a lot going on facets like yeah. kyber crystals yep yep got it <laughs> <laughs> anyways <laughs> Anyways, uh, we can move into the main part of our episode this week, which is reviewing Padawan by Kirsten White, which is the newest Star Wars book that came out when we were talking about doing this episode. We were like, of course, we have to have probably two of the biggest Obi-Wan Kenobi enjoyers enjoyers on. Um, So we'll start out with Fern and Julia, do you guys want to just give some like overall thoughts on this book? Um, so we have been jokingly saying that we're doing a press tour for this book. Like we didn't write it, but it is, it's, we didn't write it, but it is our book. Yeah. If that makes Um, sense. And what I mean by that is that there's, there's so much in this book that is like, okay, it's very important to be able to separate in your mind, liking a book because it fits what you want and like recognizing that you know there's no accounting for taste and like sometimes things just like vibe with you um and then like analyzing it in a more sort of academic sense um I will say on both fronts this book was everything I wanted um in that it sort of pulled out of my head and I think Ferns had it in a lot of ways things about this character that um, haven't been explored um, in terms of like introspection and uncertainty and anxiety and also like his goals in terms of what is most important to him which is being a Jedi and seeing him struggle with that so um, that was very satisfying it's also uh, as I think we mentioned maybe before we started recording um, inc- incredibly readable um, and you know I have said this I think on a couple different occasions, but it reminds me of the type of book that I would have like obsessively read as a 13 or 14 year old and like destroyed my library's copy up because there's just something almost nostalgic about it. It seems like it's kind of always existed in the way that really good YA books do and they feel comforting and they feel um, exciting to sort of revisit. Um, So I'm, yeah, I'm a huge fan of this book. It's definitely one of my favorite Star Wars books. Um, And I was really nervous because Obi-Wan is such an important character to me, but I would say Kirsten White gets in quotations a lot about the character that I love. And that was really an enjoyable experience. Yeah, I wanna second everything Julia said. Um, I wanna say that this book is immaculately crafted right like it is beautiful on the level of the line right Kirsten White writes beautiful very simple sentences um she you know she she writes vividly um there is a sense of this book being this uh sort of 
self-contained thing that fits into a larger narrative but it's very elegantly done like it's very elegantly wrapped up in itself um and and julia spoke um, when we were on diet in the force last night about how so much of what's internal about this book because a lot of it is internal a lot of it is like obi-wan's thoughts and feelings and anxiety so much anxiety um <laughs> it is made external in a way that is really elegant and like could feel sort of um like trite or obvious or what have you but is it's just done in a way that feels natural um it's really a hallmark of uh I would say like excellent writing for young adults um this book was comforting to me and and exciting to me because it felt so much like the books about Obi-Wan that I read when I was a kid um the Jude Watson books which I talk a lot on both Star Wars English class and on my TikTok about how influential those were for me as a young fan of Star Wars um they really delve into like who Obi-Wan is as a person especially in his youth and it's been sort of sad for me like these past few years that that stuff about Obi-Wan isn't canon that it's not you know it's something I think of as like oh this is really important to his character it's really important that he's had these experiences and that we know about these um struggles and challenges he's faced um and so this is not you know this is not like a Jude Watson book Kirsten White is not copying or or I don't even want to like get into like stealing but like but but so much of um, who Obi-Wan is as a person in those books is present in this book. And so it's been really nice to see some of my very foundational sort of understanding of Obi-Wan as a character be brought into canon in this book. So I really can't recommend it enough. Um, like I, I, I can't stop talking about it um, <laughs> because it's just excellent. It's like, it's really well done on so many different levels. Liz? Um, I really like this book. I wasn't sure how much I was going to like it just because Obi-Wan isn't my favorite. And I know a lot of people were talking about the High Republic references and like I haven't read the High Republic. So I wasn't sure if I was going to like connect with it as well as everyone else. But I really, really enjoyed it. Like it's probably one of my favorite Star Wars books I've read. Mm -hmm. um, it really made me appreciate Obi-Wan more than I ever had before. It made him just feel so much more relatable. Um, my anxious, my <laughs> little anxious boy. <laughs> like the amount of times that I had to stop reading and text, hey, he's just like me for real. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I thought it was such a good book and so easy to read. And like, you liked all of the characters. Mm. They were, everyone was so likable and they were all, had like a different kind of thing going on but it didn't feel like it was too much you know if that makes sense but mm. I, I really liked it I enjoyed it yeah I mean I completely agree with everything you've said Liv um uh, again we've already talked about this a little bit but Obi-Wan is not my favorite character either uh I think this kind of core podcast tends to drift more away from the Jedi but of course we're always welcome to uh to think about them even though they may not be our favorite it's still really interesting to think about and I was originally not gonna read this book just because I not to say I didn't have any desire to do it, but reading, I don't know what it is. Reading has been very, very difficult for me lately, but I 
I sat down, I, I was talking about this before we started recording, but I read like around 30 pages just throughout the course of the week, just because I was busy and I kept getting distracted. But then the past two days, I sat down and read almost like 380 pages in like two sittings. And this book is very easy to read. I I really like, like Fern was saying, uh, the, the, the kind of simple sentence structure, but the really deep, elaborate emotion that is infused into such like simple language uh again obi-wan is anxious he feels like he doesn't deserve to be where he is he's just like me for real uh (laughs) and i i was not expecting to relate this much to obi-wan or like any star wars character um what was i gonna say uh yeah i i liked this a lot more than i was expecting uh it is kind of very highly held in my perception of star wars books i really don't like to rank stuff because Mm. it there's like other factors and then if you consider other factors and those like kind of bump down so i just don't really like to rank stuff but this is definitely in my i would say top 15 uh if not low end of top 10 just because i have other books that i've read that i've just been able to kind of think on more but yeah this is I really enjoyed this a lot more than I was originally going to and yeah this is definitely a recommendation from the illiterate crowd of <laughs> yeah I've said this before and I'll say it again but this is my favorite piece of Obi-Wan media that I've ever mm. consumed um this is I, I'm a really big fan of the Star Wars young adult novels and this is one where I think it's like just everything that I want from a Star Wars young adult novel, especially one that is about a pre-existing character where you really get this understanding of who this character will be, but who they are right now and how that contributes to who they will be. And then also like this kind of view of them emotionally as a teenager um, that I love so much about books like Rebel Rising and uh, Most Wanted and Leia Princess of Alderaan. Uh, I, a couple years ago, I went to a book signing with Kirsten White and she talked about wanting to write uh, a Kylo Ren book. And she talked about Star Wars a little bit and you could just see like, I think that like excitement that she had there just I think really shines through in a book like this where like you just understand that this author really loves Star Wars and like what Mm -hmm. they're writing about um and like yeah I think that shines through from you know how she writes Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon to the High Republic connections to little hints about what's gonna come in Obi-Wan's life like it's just so apparent that she has so much love for this character and just like for this like story in general um that I just love to see uh this book quickly climbed up to be like in my top five favorite Mm. Star Wars books which was not something I expected coming in but like I think everyone else like I started this book kind of like after I just finished I was like oh I'll just read like I'll just read like the first chapter and then within like the first night I'd read like the first 70 or so pages and finished the book in the next two days because it just immediately sucked me in and I Hmm. need to know what happened next so yeah this is really great 
You got to know um, if they're going to get those kids out of those barrels. What was it's... your favorite moment <laughs> in the book? <laughs> no, my barrel kids. <laughs> shush, my beloved. <laughs> oh, shush. I mean, I can, favorite part is really hard for me to like pin down. I think you guys have referenced later on the outline, the Satine reference, which I love for lots of reasons. Um, so I can probably talk about that when we get there. Um, I would say, I okay, I know what my favorite moment is. My favorite moment is the um, line about him wanting to serve the galaxy. Um, and if he can't do that as a Jedi, then he'll find another way to do it. And I like that for, first of all, because it's, it's exactly what Obi-Wan is and what he's about and what's important to him, but it's also very similar to something Elzar Man says in uh, The Rising Storm about how that is what he wants to do. That's his sort of goal. And I loved that connection because I see them actually very similarly in terms of their passion for being a Jedi. It just so happens that like how they approach challenges and their, um, the outcomes of those challenges is, is different, but I think they have a similar goal and passion in serving the Jedi, uh, serving the galaxy by being a Jedi. And I think seeing that displayed in that way, and I would like to think that that phrasing is, is on purpose, especially with all the other High Republic references, but um, yeah, that was a really wonderful moment. Also the, the line, uh, Obi-Wan cared, um, because that is also very central to my understanding of him is, is he just wants to help people. and being a Jedi is the way that it is best for him to do that. Um, and it's the most important part of uh, his life. So other than the Satine reference, which we'll talk about later, that's, those are some of my favorite moments. I typically, I mean, I find it really difficult to pick favorite moments most of the time. And that's true here too, but I do want to speak on um, this. There, There's a moment towards the, um, shall we say like third act of this book um, where Obi-Wan discovers some like ancient murals that have been left Ooh, in a yeah. cave mm -hmm. which I automatically am just going to be drawn to I enjoy that imagery quite a bit um, but they the the <laughs> um the implication is that this society has died out on this planet and they left a warning for whoever comes next um, and and these children are sort of discussing the implications of this and, and what it means. Um, and one character says to another, like, but do you want to end up like that, the lone witness? It, you know, it, is that who you want to be? Yes, you'll survive, but you'll be the last mm -hmm. one um, to tell this story because they're saying, oh, well, someone had to be left to, to, to make this mural. Um, and that is the Obi-Wan Kenobi story mm -hmm. right there. I mean, that mm -hmm. is the trajectory of his life. He is the lone witness. He is the person who is left behind to tell the story of these great heroes. Um, and it's like unspeakably tragic. Um, <laughs> and so to see the, the fact that, you know, these kids are aware at a very young age that, surviving is not necessarily enough on its own right that 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 it's not enough to be the last person left to tell a story of like the the tragedy of what happened here um just was this really nice focus into what I, it's sad but like to 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 the trajectory of obi-wan's life so um yeah julia and i have spoken a lot on star wars english class about obi-wan as this witness character as like the final person to to tell the story of what happened to the jedi and to 
Anakin Skywalker and etc. So it was uh, nice to see those words literally written out on the page. Nice, I say, not nice. Um, <laughs> sad, but but important, I think. I hadn't even made that connection about Obi-Wan being the lone witness of the fall of the Jedi Order. Like, damn. He is the like Horatio character, like in Hamlet at the end, you know, Horatio is the one who has to tell the story of what happened here or Nick Carraway and the Great Gatsby. Um, and I happen to be obsessed with characters like that. Um, so that probably explains a lot about how I feel about Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> I mean, I would say my favorite part was Obi-Wan being able to like fully meditate like what mm -hmm. people think of meditating for the first time uh he the way he's able to meditate is that he lets go and I have spoken about this before I am a very stubborn person and letting go is very hard for me to do so seeing him kind of go on this journey that was rooted in him being stubborn and wanting to do things his own way and being confused about what he's trying to do just in the greater scope of the Jedi Order and the Force just in general. So to see him being able to unlock his full connection to the Force by letting go and letting down his guard and just letting go, that was really nice to see and I did laugh when he realized that he was floating above the <laughs> above the ground because there was also the line in the beginning about how Qui-Gon seemed to meditate even just like a couple centimeters off the ground uh that was I think either that part or him discovering the the like core ecosystem of Lenara in the cave in that gash the mm. the big kind of cavern ravine if you will uh that part was very nice as well yeah i i like those parts <laughs> my favorite part was also the whole meditation scene <laughs> mm -hmm. just because his disney like, princess moment yeah. yeah oh my god he was a snow white tinny snow white kid in this book sorry go ahead i was just gonna say um i just like all the kind of little realizations he had as he was meditating like he had let fear the fear of his fear kind of control him and that's what was cutting him off from the force and then as soon as he let go it like all it washed back over him and I thought that was beautiful mm -hmm. uh I think my favorite moment was just like the connection to Orla. Um, I think that having Orla be the High Republic connection is so fantastic in a lot of ways because she is kind of the opposite of Obi-Wan. She doesn't rely on this structure. She doesn't have these anxieties. Um, and she's a lot more like Qui-Gon. And I think through like kind of finishing out Orla's mission she is able or uh, Obi-Wan is able to like better kind of understand mm -hmm. Qui-Gon um and also like this idea that you know Comac who is so close to Orla also kind of had this struggle with am I going to mm -hmm. stay in the Jedi Order am I going to leave but when he loses Orla he he leaves the Order but finding Orla is what connects Obi-Wan mm -hmm. back to the Order 
Um, and I think that's kind of a really beautiful parallel. Uh, and yeah, I just think that she's like this perfect, like ancestral mentor for Obi-Wan. Um, and I loved that connection and also like how she helped Elzar all those years ago. And now she's able to help Obi-Wan now is just mm -hmm. so, so heartwarming. Um, and I love to see when Star Wars stories connect all those years later um, and to see, you know, the impact that these characters can have in ways both big and small and like you know Orla has this and then you think about like how then all these years down the road uh Rey is gonna hear Obi-Wan's voice and that's gonna mm -hmm. help her on her journey is something that I think is really cool yeah mm -hmm. uh now we're I guess we can kind of go into the characters um obviously <laughs> we'll start with obi-wan um so who anyone can start on kind of like their thoughts about obi-wan's character and his journey in this book just the I, he's so anxious all the time <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I really appreciate that Kirsten White knows this about him because it's easy <laughs> to look at Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars or in, you know, Attack of the Clones and see him as this very put together, very confident individual. Um, and that's simply not the case. That is that is a veneer on the surface. Um, I was thinking about a line that I connected with, and I'm curious if anyone else here at this round table uh, related to but there's a lot I actually have it if I can pull it up um oh it just disappeared essentially he is talking about how he feels about rules right and he likes mm -hmm. rules because they can provide something for him to follow when he agrees with them or something to push back against when he doesn't but they give him mm -hmm. stability and structure yep. um mm -hmm. and I don't think like I think it's dangerous when we get into oh, this book is good because it was relatable to me personally. Mm. Like, obviously that's a very, very, very subjective thing. Um, but, oh boy, did that moment <laughs> for me? Oh, yeah. That's something that I completely yeah. felt. That, that's how I felt all growing up. Um, and I think the thing that I really appreciated about this snapshot of Obi-Wan in this moment is that he really feels like a 16 year old. Mm -hmm. um, yes. I like, mm -hmm. I you know, I work with high school students and- uh, they often feel a lot more grown up than they are, or, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they feel really, you know, little, and they and and it's just like it's a very complex age and time in your life. Um, and I felt like Obi Wan and the other kids in this book felt authentically sixteen, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which I really appreciated because that's not always the case with YA literature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When you're talking about like Obi Wan, like I felt that so hard of like this he has this mentor who's just kind of like you know we're gonna do this and like he's really free and you're just grasping for that structure and you're looking up to this person being like you're the person who is supposed to give me the structure so I know that I'm doing good like I mm -hmm. need these these so these marks to say I am doing the right thing I am growing I am accomplishing I'm succeeding um and I found that so like deeply relatable and like when I was 16 I feel like that would have been 
something that probably sent me into like a full <laughs> spiral but like even now uh it's something that like I just relate so much to and and even this anxiety over like his future of like oh. you know if I'm not a, if I'm not a Jedi what am I if I if I stay with the Jedi what am I like it's so yeah like it's so just deeply relatable and it made me connect to Obi-Wan's character in a way that I really hadn't before um and just like grasp on to like yeah this is like this is what I felt when I was 16 this is what I feel now and like this idea that and I think it's cool that that a character that you know in the in the past I would have said well I like him but like he's not someone that I really like see myself in now because I saw this specific period in mm -hmm. his life is now like oh no he's maybe one of the most relatable characters mm -hmm. to me yeah yeah the internal dialogue um I mentioned this on diet last night like this is just a credit to how well it's written it could very easily become kind of grating because he is constantly having an anxious spiral like literally every page and yet it's 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 still so engaging because he is someone who is again I think Fern is right like it's not necessarily about relatability but I think if you're writing a young adult novel about self-discovery like there is a portion of it in which relatability is is a factor uh, but he also says something in it where he's talking about how like Jedi Padawans are not normal children and so Fern this is something you and I were talking about specifically when we get to like the sexuality aspect and sort of discovering that portion of yourself Jedi Padawans are interesting, right? Because they are so much more mature and worldly in so many ways. And yet when we think of 16-year-olds, you might say that Obi-Wan seems almost naive in terms of relationships, right? He doesn't seem as um, aware of those types of things as you would expect normal, quote-unquote, 16-year-olds in like a normal school on Coruscant might be, right? And he mentions that like, we're not normal children. I think it's easy for us to forget that Jedi children are special. They are different. They have different um, expectations. They have different goals. And so combining that uh, exceptional nature of their being with the fact that they are also just normal people was really well handled. And you can see it in terms of like his bravery and his desire to get those kids out of those barrels. He's got to get them out of there. Um, the level of sort of leadership and you know courage that he has as a 16 year old which is exceptional which is a sign of his sort of jedi-ness but he also sees people flirting and is like do i want that do, do wait a second and like hasn't really thought about that and so to see that sort of duality of the jedi life it's <laughs> this is one of the parts of it that made me think of the high republic is it, it's a high republic obi-wan novel right you're dealing with a lot of characters like Ruth Silas, like Fernestra Rowe, who have exceptional levels of responsibility, but are also dealing with, like in Fernestra's case, her lack of sort of interest in that type of thing, or Ruth, who's like, must kiss girl, please let me kiss girl now. God, why <laughs> won't you let me kiss a girl? Um, and like, he's 19, really, when he's first sort of having this feeling, which many people would say is late for a lot of people, right? So I just thought that that was really refreshing to see recognition that like yes Jedi are not normal children in some ways and in other ways they're very much regular teenagers and I think she like threaded I almost have PhD in English I don't know um <laughs> that needle um between that and made it make sense that he's like this and um I can't I can't shut up ever I'm sorry but um 
You've come I to the right podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just think <laughs> capturing, capturing his need, like speaking out of connections, the fact that when Luke met Mushroom Ghost, oh, sorry, man, yeah. um, uh, and he says like, we're not the only game in town, but we're here. And that level of connection between Obi-Wan having that same thought of like, well, if I can't be a Jedi, I'm still going to serve the force. I'm still going to find a way to do it. I would like to be a Jedi, but it, I'm not going to stop serving the force, right? Uh, I can't not do that. And to see that connection um, through Orla and Elzar and then Luke and then Ray, it's just so beautiful. And it's the type of thing that really makes you just like a shiver down your back in terms of like, this is what the Jedi are really in terms of this lineage of like people who want to serve the galaxy. And I found that that's central to who Obi-Wan is. And so that was like, yeah, I loved that. I just thought it was so inside his own head at 16, trying to figure that out, capturing that, knowing sort of how he will be later is, I don't know how you go about writing that. Like that's such a challenge Mm -hmm. to think of doing, but I thought it was really well done. Really quickly. I just want to step in here um, as the resident, um, the Rise of Skywalker enjoyer and say, Mm -hmm. if you have not already, and you're a fan of the High Republic era, please go back and watch that movie. And during the whole, I am the Jedi, I'm all the Jedi sequence, just imagine like Orla and Elzar and all of them. And it will be a different experience. I mean, it was already very important to me when I saw it the first time, but it will be a transcendent experience. So Mm -hmm. there's my plug for It's weird how you can hear Elzar saying, fuck him up, Ray. That's weird. (laughs) I know. It's totally out of context. Like when the movie came out. Yeah, but when I, you're hearing you know. when you're, you just gotta go fuck him up, right? And you're like, who is that? But it's Alzar, and now you know. You just see you hear this voice saying, "God, I wish he had a light with," and you're like, "What?" Well, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Well, I realized too. I kind of had this like epiphany when what Julia was talking about because I feel like so much of like you know the Star Star Wars young adult novels are like you have these very exceptional teenagers in these very weird circumstances you have the princess of Alderaan you have this girl who is Jedi but has just lost the entire order you have girl who is being raised to be a soldier in this war and they're also exceptional and these are circumstances that most teenagers cannot relate to but because they have these experiences of like trying to make friends having their first romantic relationships with people um dealing with trying to live up to mentors and parents expectations of them and also balance who they want to be outside of those expectations they become so relatable and so like understandable to you know us as regular people and teenagers who are just like going to high school um and I think that's part of like what I really love about these books um and I think like I said this book kind of just fits perfectly into that ideal of like yeah you have this really exceptional Jedi student but like he's also dealing with like who does he want to kiss what's he gonna do after he graduates essentially like (laughs) you know does he want to go to college or (laughs) does he want to drop out like that kind of stuff yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh oh go ahead (laughs) no no no, you go ahead Uh, well I am 19 years old 
And very, I'm very much the youngest person on this podcast. <laughs> um, and I vague, I relate to Obi-Wan a lot in this book. Um, I was 17, not to bring up COVID, but this is very much what I've been thinking about mm-hmm. a lot. But I was 17 when COVID started, maybe like a year older than Obi-Wan. I was just starting to like kind of get my feel on things in school and then everything shut down. Like I had this broadcasting competition and that was going to set everything up for me. Like I was literally going to get an internship out of it. And then it all got canceled literally as I was at the the broadcasting uh, competition, little Hayden lore drop for you. Um, <laughs> but I have also, I went to a very rigid academically focused private high school and I went I went all throughout like first through 12th grade so I was very much immersed in the studies first relationships later (laughs) I I really haven't really thought about um having any romantic relationships just because I was always focused on my studies much like Obi-Wan is always like practicing his lightsaber forms and trying to be the best that he can be um And then he has that moment of like, what if I do want this? And I just finished my first year of college back in uh, June. And it was there that I really like started figuring out because not to not to bring up COVID again, but I feel like my social growth was very stunted because of it, because I spent basically all of senior year online on Zoom. But there was there's something about it that's so relatable because he's he's basically like bargaining with two sides of himself like do I want this do I want to still stay strict to the ideals of the Jedi order do I do I want do I want something like this and it also goes back to the core struggle and and, and internal conflict of this book of like does he want to stay with this kind of lost boys esque group of force sensitive quote unquote kids or go back to the Jedi order and become a Jedi Knight and a master and learn for the rest of his life. So that part was very relatable Mm -hmm. to me, just what I'm trying to get at. Um, But also, we've already touched on this before, his just general anxiety about everything, because he catastrophizes, he's just Mm -hmm. like me for real. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) He the anxious spirals in this book and like the stomach aches he gets because of anxiety. God, it is like Kirsten White literally took stuff out of my brain and put it into this book. There's also a lot of like language choices that I literally had to put the book down. I either texted Liv or tweeted about it like, oh my God, did I write this book? (laughs) It's, this is just basically like my internal monologue every single day. So yes, I, I very much liked, oh, that's another thing. They, they, they. The book literally had the line, he would very much not like to do that. And I put that phrase <laughs> a lot, as you just saw. So yeah, I very much related to Obi-Wan in this book. And this is my favorite interpretation of Obi-Wan mm. that I have ever read. Even Master and Apprentice, even the comics, even Obi-Wan and Anakin. This is yeah. supreme. Like when he Qui-Gon doesn't show up and he's like, he's left the order. <laughs> this immediate jump to like not oh he's late oh he's never late he wouldn't forgive me this means he left the order with Dooku and he doesn't want to be my master anymore and I'm just huge like this immediate like spiral into worst case scenarios oh yeah is Mm -hmm. like it's like yeah it's like 
kind of darkly, this is going to be dark, but it's funny to me as someone who has, does catastrophize, but also has had things happen to me that are the worst case scenario. And so like, much like Obi-Wan Kenobi, sometimes the worst thing you can imagine happening does in fact happen. Um, and so you're kind of left with this like catastrophizing. We're like, yep, I guess my, you know, my advisor didn't email me back quickly. So I'm kicked out of the program, but then also yes. sometimes, <laughs> sometimes also things do happen that are very bad. And to know that Obi-Wan is going to have a lot of those fears realized is a level of like ugh, relatability in terms of like anxiety and mental health that I find so fascinating because what do you do when you catastrophize but then the world also in this, in this case the galaxy is also terrifying like I'm sure the idea that you know what's what if I fail Anakin like probably the worst possible version of that comes true, right? And so I would love to see more of an exploration. And I think that's something that, you know, this book, I, my the series wasn't my favorite, but something I think it did do well was explore how you deal with your worst fears being realized. And to see that sort of uh, come back here to where he's dealing with a sort of catastrophizing, like you have to learn how to handle both sort of anxiety that doesn't need to be treated that way, but you also need to be prepared for tragedy. And I think that's the reality of, of sort of having an anxious mind in a realistic world is you can't always tell people, oh, that's never gonna happen because you don't know that. And sort of preparing in a way that Obi-Wan does um, to deal with things that are hard and sort of how he survives that tragedy is something that I would love to see more of uh, him developing that resilience because he deals with a lot of stuff that would break a lot of other people. And so seeing that sort of start to develop here was really satisfying. Yeah, uh, I like, was, it is. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, like you do think about like, we think, oh, well, it's silly to be like, oh, Qui-Gon's gonna leave the order because we know he does it. But to Obi-Wan and like, if you think about Qui-Gon's character, it's like, okay, well, actually, that's not so far out of the realm right. of possibilities. Like, yeah, he's catastrophizing, but also, like, he is, it's not coming out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. He's not making it up. The signs are there. The moments that he spent, like, you know, knowing who Qui-Gon is as his master leads him to this conclusion. Um, and that's also, like, a thing where I think a lot of people like, I think this book is a really good study on just, like, anxiety in general that, like, mm -hmm. I think people often, too, like to think of people who have anxiety as, like, well, you're just being silly. But it's, like, no, because in in my mind, I have logical reasons to mm -hmm. believe that this is something that will happen because of past experience that I had, because of how, what I know about this person, because of what I know about this situation. Um, and, like, I really, I think, I just, like, you know, when I think about, like, I really appreciated seeing this kind of anxiety representation in a book like this, um, because it, it does feel so deeply like me, and it seems like basically everyone here is like, it was so deeply like, oh, shit, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's me. Um, yeah, like, oh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> no, you could go, you were going to talk before. <laughs> So something that I remembered both when Julia was talking and Emily kind of touched on it just now, uh, there's the feeling of Obi-Wan feeling like he doesn't deserve to be in the place like he that he is. Um, another lore drop about me, I did competitive dance for ugh, 
I, I can't do math and I really don't want to count right mm. now, but <laughs> over like a good chunk of my formative years. So I also went to cut not this is I promise this is not a brag. This is relevant to the story, but I went to like one of the top like famous dance studios in in the US. Um, and I I I was never really flexible. Like I'm sure you've seen on dance moms and Twitter and whatever people are just like, they just kind of like stick their leg up there and it's just always up there. I was not able to do that. So <laughs> I was kind of like always in the back. Um, not, not in a bad way. I was also like four inches taller than most of them. Uh, but there, when we went to conventions, cause conventions for, it's kind of like, like, comic conventions but not really you get like a bunch of people who teach classes and then you you take them and then you get called out and then you get scholarships um another big thing about convent about com competitive dance is politics and because I had this like kind of big name on my back I would mm -hmm. always feel like I was only getting a scholarship because of my name so I that really kind of sent me in a dour spiral of like do I really deserve to be here? Am I really getting this award because of my work or because of the name that I carry on my back? And I also used to travel for uh, conventions a lot and I wouldn't bring my my studio dance jacket with me because I, I didn't want them to associate me with my studio and I wanted them to, to give me a, a scholarship for my work and not necessarily for the name on my back. So that the Obi-Wan feeling as though he doesn't really deserve to be in the Jedi Order and he's in the wrong place for whatever reasons. <laughs> Gotta hit home. <laughs> All right, Liv, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, pretty much just what I was going to say was the brand of anxiety that Obi-Wan has is very, very much like high school me. I think this is a book that I wish I could like travel back in time and just be like, here you go, 16 year old <laughs> Liv, please read this. Please just chill. <laughs> like there was a line, I took a screenshot of it because I was like, God damn, if someone told me this when I was 16, I would have a lot less issues, but it was, um, so why did he still feel the like he should do it he needed to stop doing things simply because he felt like he would get in trouble or somehow be letting someone down if he didn't and I was Oof. like god if I learn that <laughs> <sighs> yeah you can tell Kirsten White has teenagers right now like you can yeah. just <laughs> tell that she is like yep this is an experience like obviously has been a teenager but like dealing with that level of compassion and like related sometimes adults writing teens and writing about teens it's like we get it you don't know what you've forgotten what it's like to be a teenager I didn't ever feel that here it's it, this is very real and that's hard to capture so that he he learned to let go of it a little mm -hmm. and oh um and and grow and learn that like he can live with it, but he can't let it control him like he has. Like this idea that Qui-Gon is trying to teach him, which is that you need to stay in the present. You can't be worried about what's going to happen in the future because you don't have control over that. But like you have control over what is happening now and you can have 
that as long as you focus on it and you're not always worried about what's coming next. What do I need to do mm-hmm. instead of what am I doing? Um, but I, I like that, you know, he is able to kind of, you know, he is able to move past it, but it doesn't leave him. And I think that's a really good mm-hmm. kind of just general message um, when you're looking at these books, especially for the core audience that like it's not about getting better or just not having anxiety about anymore it's about learning how to manage it and learning how to live your life without it controlling you mm-hmm. yeah I I completely agree with that I love that there is this this sense that his anxiety is still present at the end of this book um and part of that is because of course we we see him after this point we know that that anxiety is still present in his life you know, even as a Jedi Knight and a Jedi Master and on the council, right? Um, This isn't canon anymore, but I think of the Revenge of the Sith novelization and like it talks about how he is a member of the council um, and yet at heart, he still feels like a Padawan. He he doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like that's true of him at all. Um, And so obviously we have to consider where we're going with this character, but also, yes, that this isn't something that this isn't the sort of thing where you go on a special field trip and you cure your anxiety and you're okay and you're whole now um, and you're never going to have to reckon with it again. Um, but he has the tools now, or at the very least, like he has um, a, a sense of certainty in his own identity and how, who he is as a person that's able to sort of carry him through these situations that previously he, he maybe would have been like rendered um, just like you know sort of debilitated by his anxiety yeah and that's it's also interesting to consider like you know uh that from this point Obi-Wan's gonna be a Padawan for like another decade (laughs) like this is very much still in like the beginning of his kind Mm -hmm. of journey as a Padawan because we know that he won't even become you know master he won't have his own Padawan for another 10 years so I think that it's also interesting to consider this as like kind of a starting point in Mm -hmm. his Padawan journey Mm -hmm. can I say I really appreciate that about Obi-Wan as well um and and would have appreciated this if I had really thought about it more when I was in high school because I I so deeply believed that if I messed up when I was in high school which by the way I want to say I did I am the person who messed up in high school and it's fine and it all worked out okay right but like um so much of my anxiety at that age was predicated on this idea that if I messed up in high school, I wouldn't get into the right college and then I wouldn't have a future <laughs> and I wouldn't have a career and all of this stuff that I now know is ridiculous, right? Um, and so as much as I love a Vernestra Rowe character and identify with her, um, I appreciate that we have an Obi-Wan character as well, who is the world's oldest Padawan, <laughs> who, you know, is sort of like late to come to some of these milestones in his life and still ends up being this, the, 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 what others perceive to be the perfect Jedi, right? He is mm-hmm. this famous general. He is on the council. He has succeeded in all the sort of like facets of being a Jedi that we might expect him to succeed in. And that was not a given that at no point Mm -hmm. in his life was like, no, 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 you're on this trajectory to like be this super successful Jedi. Um, I, I really appreciate that. I wish that I could go back in time and tell my young self, like, that's the lesson you should be learning Mm -hmm. from this. It's going to be okay. Um, but you know, it's not a race. It's not Mm -hmm. a race. 
and it's Anakin. interesting. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's interesting <laughs> when you have been like in the ways that this book really pulls on the differences between Obi Wan and Qui Gon's approach. That how this can lead into like you know uh, Anakin versus Obi Wan, where like Anakin kind of is set up to believe like I am going to succeed, I am going to be this great Jedi, uh, where like. Obi-Wan knew I did not always know that and that was not something that he ever Mm. fully believed so like setting up this further kind of like uh difference between the two of them as master and padawan I Mm -hmm. think is done really well in this book one thing that I remember when you were saying is the line that made me laugh out loud is when Obi-Wan says oh I'll never have a padawan as bad as I am (laughs) that that made me that made me cackle i think my sister what thinks i'm insane but that did me a really good <laughs> no one could in their mind imagine anakin skywalker is the same. <laughs> like, the, like he's being reasonable because he can't he can't imagine um <laughs> like that that kind of person would exist and i'm thinking about brotherhood and anakin's sense of like he he feels like not only does he is this his destiny he has the sense of responsibility like it is his duty to be the best Jedi he he has to succeed and you can see like how much that pressure that anxiety can ruin you and I think it is very relatable the idea that you will burn out and you might not necessarily become literally burned out as like a 23 year old um but there are a lot of 23 year olds who've probably done the Anakin Skywalker thing of like you know skyrocketing through your career feeling like you need to sort of reach certain milestones and then literally burning out and um it will yeah I just think that's that's a really interesting way to look at it um in comparing how they approach their life um and what you know we have to be careful in terms of like how you approach children and sort of give them expectations of their life because as someone who was once a child who was told like wow you're so good at x like that can really set children up for, you know, uh, problems later. And it's, you know, yeah. Hashtag gifted kid burnout on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <what I'm> <laughs> Another kind of aspect, I think, of Obi-Wan's character that we've touched on a little, but was kind of a big moment in this book was the little part about Obi-Wan kind of thinking about his sexuality. Um so I, Fern, do you want to start? Can you seem yes. very enthusiastic? <laughs> I was going to say like, oh, we should, like, we should transition into this conversation. Um, I mean, there's a lot that's exciting about this. Obviously it, I think validates what a lot of us have known in our hearts for a long time, which is that um, Obi-Wan A is like, of course he's bi. Of course he is. Look at the man. But also is a whore heart. Am I allowed to say that on this show? Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. We're explicit. <laughs> um, I mean, he just, you know, from the start, but, but, but it is more complex than that for him, right? Um, it is not so simple as, okay, well, I have sort of freed myself from the shackles of being a Jedi. And now that I'm on this planet with these young shipwrecked teens I can just go to town Um, it's not (laughs) it's not that simple for him um and so I what I really really appreciate about all of this is not just that it um validates a queer reading of Obi-Wan which is of course very important to me but also that it depicts a sort of complicated 
um, relationship to romantic and sexual attraction. It's not simple for him. It's not something that he knows immediately. Okay, this person, I am like horny for this person and that's it. And we're going to go make out in a closet now. Um, it's something that he has not stopped to think about before. And when he does stop to think about it, he doesn't have clear answers. Um, that is very similar to my, and again, like I know relatability should not be our only metric of like whether or not something is, is good or well done or whatnot. But um, I, I have often felt like depictions of characters of like coming into their life as a romantic individual or as a sexual individual or whatever um like are so simplistic or so like oh I realize I have a crush on this person and that's it that's the person I want to be with like it's it's obvious and it's um it's easy and it is not that for Obi-Wan um which I think makes sense considering his existence as a Jedi, right? This is not something he has been trained from a young age to sort of think is going to be important in his life. Um, and I also, I also think it's just like true to a lot of people's experience, regardless of the way they were raised, that, that these kinds of relationships are more complex and less, less straightforward um, than they are often depicted. Uh, so I thought it was great. I loved the whole thing. It was fantastic. Five out of five stars from me. <laughs> I think I mean I think it's and I think it was really beautiful and like the how casual it was mm-hmm. handled too and like it wasn't this big let's stop everything and Obi-Wan is mm. bisexual <laughs> like uh-huh. it was just like maybe I want to kiss guys maybe I want to kiss girls I've never really thought about it maybe I don't want to kiss anyone like it's like this very real moment of like oh yeah I guess I've never stopped to think about it but like I don't and maybe I don't know what I want right now and that's fine too that's Mm -hmm. completely fine because like and I I really like that and I think it goes along kind of well with the like when we talk about this as like you know the Obi-Wan High Republic novel it very much she almost reminded me of like Vern's um moment where she was like oh I just don't think I really want a romantic Mm -hmm. relationship at all even like and like that kind of how casual that was um like and how a lot of kind of the representation in the High Republic is um it felt very much like that moment here and you have to love still for some reason everyone loves to flirt with Obi-Wan so we have one person being like well if you ever want to experiment no like the confidence that that Castle had to have to be like yeah I've never kissed anyone either if you're interested just hit me up (laughs) okay dude literally uh I just speaking on the the queer rep in this book just like in general I feel like a lot of our expectations I I don't know if I'm saying phrasing this wrong but I feel like a lot of people's expectations are like like characters have to have like a coming out and it's like a big Mm. thing where they explicitly say oh I'm bisexual or I'm a lesbian or whatever but I feel like we first of all a have to tamper our expectations and b we the casual mentions of it like in this book are just as important as the kind of huge um, coming out shebangs, if you get what I'm saying. Uh, I really appreciated that about this book. And again, I I, I don't wanna say, 
Um, I don't want to say I have problems with other sort of representation, but I feel like I've seen a lot of things on both Twitter and TikTok about people complaining about how some representation isn't enough and how it's not, it's not too, it's not, it's not at the scale that it should be, but that this is, in my opinion, this is probably one of the most perfect representations of queer rep that I've read. Um, and I, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I, I hope the message gets across because this was very important to me personally, and I, I hope it doesn't get misconstrued in any way. Well, something Fern and I talk about a, a lot is like, what is representation and what is yes. good representation yes. and how yes. um, it's really hard to nail down that. Um, and as someone who's really unfamiliar with the queer community personally, kind of learning these things um, as, a, as an outsider in many ways, kind of thinking about um, how different people approach it. And it's been interesting to me to see people's reactions to it. And I will, something Fern and I were talking about is like, it seems very normal for a 16 year old to sort of be thinking about it in this way, but because it's Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's so much more um, weighted than it would be for any other character. Um, and then there's also the whole, you know, the fact that there's distrust of any sort of corporate entity in terms of why are they doing this? How yeah. is it being presented? Are they gonna reference it in any other material, right? it's complicated and it's not just complicated textually, it's complicated metatextually. And knowing that being able to separate like the conversations about representation from the actual text and sort of how it's functioning in the story mm -hmm. can be really hard. Um, and I've learned a lot sort of um, from Fern specifically in terms of like how those two things are related and how they're different. Um, but yeah, it, it is complicated. And I think it's reasonably nuanced from my perspective for a 16 year old who hasn't considered these things before. But I think a lot of people are looking for that certainty. And it's very, it's, I understand the cynicism of why there isn't that certainty, but also realistically sexuality in Star Wars is very different. They have like multiple humanoid species. They have so many different types of understanding of gender and romance. Like it, and relationships and relationships well. yeah right like it's 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 hard to relate it one-to-one -one in a way that makes sense um for a character like Obi-Wan in this galaxy so that's an sort of additional layer of complexity that's like well like you know what about a Mickeyan or like uh you know is a Mickeyan male more or less controversial of a relationship or does it you know, matter. Like, there's so much we don't know about the sort of like status quo of this mm -hmm. galaxy in terms of like relationships. Um, in terms of like the metatextual stuff as well, um, like with a character like Obi Wan, he is um, culturally very important to us, right? Whether you're thinking of like. Obi-Wan Kenobi in A New Hope, or you're thinking of him in the prequels or the Clone Wars or whatever, this is a character who carries cultural weight. And so to, to even imply or suggest or indicate that this character is queer is kind of radical. And I don't want to give too much credit where like credit is maybe not due, but I think it is due here. Um, that is That is significant. Like the impact there is significant. Absolutely. Right. Like, I mean, Julia talks about like um, 
God, what do they call them? Not like like legacy characters. Is that the word they use? Yeah, they call them legacy characters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So like, boo. Okay, you sorry. talk about it. legacy <laughs> characters in a way that like I really resonate with, and I agree with you. And like at one point, you talked about them like being encased in amber, right? Like they can't yeah. be they can't be changed in any significant way because they need to be preserved in people's minds as like what they saw when they were children or what they just and like if you don't mind me slightly diverting the conversation to Star Trek for a minute. <laughs> um, I've been keeping up with some of the new Star Trek stuff that comes out and you have a character like Spock who is the sort of legacy character within the Star Trek world and to so many people has been this sort of important queer icon even though he is not textually queer his relationships and his way of being has been read that way for literal decades and it seems like so much of the the content that surrounds this character now is trying to undo those decades of seeing this character as a queer icon or queer figure. It's so much like, but he has a fiance, he has a girlfriend who he loves and he loves to have sex with her and like, don't <laughs> think about him in any other way. Like he's definitely a heterosexual man. Um, trying to preserve that image of Spock as a character. And so the fact that we have any indication whatsoever that like this iconic character Obi-Wan Kenobi likes has thought about kissing men that like that feels mm -hmm. radical to me because that is not what everyone is doing right now even in mm -hmm. 2022 when we really should be past this like we're not and so um yeah. I'm happy to shower this with praise like I know it's vague <laughs> I know it's not as good as it should be but like I'm happy to say okay good job though with what you've done yeah mm -hmm. yeah and to be reading I was reading this book I was reading the neck alley as the series was was um on and as much as I enjoyed the show there was a sense of legacyness to it it was a very um yeah. careful depiction of the character and it was a good depiction but it was not a depiction that even wanted to recognize a heterosexual relationship that he would have had there was no room yeah. for Obi-Wan's own romantic relationships there wasn't even room really for friendships outside of his relationship for Anakin and so moments like this I think are important because this concept of a legacy character I personally find to be one of the most uh frustrating of this new era it's you know saying that like oh we can't have another solo movie because Harrison Ford is unfortunately 80 years old and it's just showing a, a sort of fear that I think really ignores that some of the best stuff comes from experimentation and it comes from taking risks and that a lot of Ewan McGregor was a recast you know what I mean like we need to consider um, that what we consider to be legacy what we consider to be like set in stone is only that way because we've accepted it and I, I personally would love um, I think they should recast the characters all the time like I, I don't know I'm <laughs> yeah. so messing with these characters in ways that challenges our understanding of them. Even like, even if it makes me, you know, reading this, thinking about, um, oh my gosh, like what, you know, sexuality Obi-Wan sort of consider himself as, even if it makes me uncomfortable when I first read it, I'd rather have that than a like stale um, uh, sort of basic version of a character that doesn't explore or expand or take risks. And so I agree with Fern. Um, we, we all have known uh, that this is uh, someone who is uh, bisexual, who has a, a queer sexuality and seeing that I was shocked to see it referenced. Yeah. I truly yeah. did not I expect anyone to ever go out of their way to do it because it is such a risk, even 
though they can easily ignore it in other media, they can't act like it isn't true, right? They can't act yeah. like it isn't canon. And I think I really appreciate Kirsten White doing it, even if I know she probably knows it's not going to you know go beyond this book I I still think it's worth it and uh, well, yeah. it's funny when we talk about legacy characters because when I think of the interpretation of the legacy characters that I like the most it's almost always the stuff that messes with their legacy mm-hmm. like I Han Solo is my favorite character because of Solo I love right. Alden mm-hmm. Han Solo exactly. the most I this yes. was my favorite piece of Obi-Wan media it messes mm-hmm. with Obi-Wan's legacy. I like Luke the most in The Last Jedi. Like, I like the stuff that kind of takes the characters and not twist them, but like looks deeper into them, gives them new meaning, looks at the character and says, you know, this kind of hero in this one way, but I'm going to show you them in a different way. Mm-hmm. And and it, I think not only that, but it adds, I always think that it adds so much to their character. Mm-hmm. I think it makes, I think it always makes their character better when Han Solo is not the suave guy he's always been, but he yes. is a little bit more naive and he's just trying to get the girl when Obi-Wan is not this perfect Jedi but this anxious 16 year old who doesn't know what he wants to do and doesn't know who he wants to have a relationship with if he even wants to have a romantic relationship at all like I like these interpretations of these characters because they challenge and I also Mm -hmm. like them because I think you know it's fun I think it's really nice to know that there are kids who are going to watch Star Wars for the first time who are going to know that Obi-Wan is like them in some way to 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 look up to Obi-Wan so much and to know oh he's kind of like me in this way is I think so important that like I don't care what dude bros are gonna say about it because I think that what little kids watching Star Wars what even the the older kids watching Star Wars who have looked up to Obi-Wan for so long like so many of like our friends and us I think what they feel and and them knowing that Obi-Wan is like them in, in this one way is is so important and and really yeah great to see even if they don't acknowledge it anywhere else it is it will live in this book forever it will forever be a part of the canon of Obi-Wan mm-hmm. um any other thoughts on Obi-Wan's character no Okay, uh, we're, we'll move on to uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, who makes a little bit of an appearance. Shout out to book. Ari. <laughs> <laughs> Looking lovingly at my Qui-Gon but not forgotten sticker on my last <laughs> uh, Thoughts about Qui-Gon? Um, at the end of that book, he's described as having a warmly inscrutable smile. And I was like, yep, correct. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, you seem like I am comforted by you, but I don't quite understand what's happening here, Um, which I thought was like a really accurate representation. Um, I think this is a really great um, uh, exercise in point of view. Um, You can take a shot. I was talking about point of view um, because in Master and Apprentice, he's a major point of view character and Obi-Wan has less of a point of view role. And seeing Qui Gon always from Obi-Wan's perspective is fascinating. And I think we learn a lot about how Obi-Wan perceives him and how he is just like a puzzle box that he's trying to, um, you know, uh, understand. And 
I think that really um, is something that you get a little bit of a little bit of uh, in Master and Apprentice, but because you are also in Qui-Gon's mind, you can kind of fill in the gaps that Obi-Wan's missing. Whereas here, you can't fill in those gaps. We don't have the answers. And so I think that's very real to the story and that um, it's Obi-Wan's story. It's a young adult novel. We don't get the adult's thoughts. We just get Obi-Wan's. And so even though he's sort of not in the book very much, what we do get of him seems very much like, yep, this is how Obi-Wan is, is seeing and thinking of this of this man. Yeah, I, I wanted to say the exact same thing about point of view, that, that we are seeing Qui-Gon filtered through Obi-Wan's perspective. And I think it's a nice reminder that Qui-Gon is difficult. He, like, he, he is challenging as a master to Obi-Wan. Um, he is frustrating at times. And I think it's very easy to romanticize him as a character because he does seem so warm and comforting and yes, inscrutable, right? But he, he we see a version of him in Phantom Menace that is um, competent and seems very worldly and wise. Um, but for Obi-Wan, especially in his youth, he is a difficult mentor to have. Um, and I think that is important as well, I, I think especially when we try to contextualize his relationship with Anakin and like all of the struggles of that relationship mm -hmm. um, to think about, okay, well, what was his relationship with Qui-Gon? Like, it was not always easy. It was not always straightforward. In fact, it may, you know, it mostly wasn't. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was just very well done. Um, and I think sometimes that, that reminder is necessary that of course, from, from Obi-Wan's perspective, like this was not necessarily the type of relationship he would have chosen, which is not to say that it's not worth him following through on. Of course it is. Um, but I love the scene where all the other Padawan, you know, he's thinking about all of his friends and their masters and how they seem to be this great fit. Um, they all seem to have these similar interests and he just can't puzzle out why he and Qui-Gon are together. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. I just think Qui-Gon was, he's a shithead in this book, but it's also <laughs> definitely, it's also definitely something I would do too. I mm. hate to say it. It's something I would do that both of them are just like me for real. That's all I can say. <laughs> he was sleepy. Sometimes Qui-Gon yeah. is sleepy. I think that's the most important <laughs> takeaway. Qui-Gon, sleepy. He got sleepy. Qui-Gon, but he really just forgot to set his alarm and is oversleeping. <laughs> oh my god. I just love how when Obi-Wan got back, he's like, oh my god, I'm gonna get kicked out. I'm gonna get in trouble. And then Qui-Gon is just like standing there like, how's it going, dude? Yeah. <laughs> As you trip. <laughs> that was almost like a, a wish fulfillment moment for an anxious kid <laughs> yeah. of like you're returning and you don't know what's going to happen but you're ready to face it but you're worried about it and then your mentor who you look up to is standing there waiting to hear about your adventure um truly yeah that was a wish fulfillment moment for me personally I oh, will yeah. say yeah I don't know why I don't quite good wasn't in a lot of this book but this is the first time I really liked his character um I just think it was something about um, like knowing what Obi-Wan needs and not always being 100% sure how to get him to that point. But I like that he allowed Obi-Wan to go on this journey by himself, knowing that this is what he needs to do and that he needs to do it without him. Um, 
but that he can still teach him through it uh and I, I also think maybe part of it was this was really the first time that I fully connected like Orla and Qui-Gon this like oh how similar they are um and I when that part you know when Obi-Wan kind of like or when Qui-Gon kind of gets like excited when he mentions a way seeker and you just think about how in a lot of ways like Qui-Gon might have wanted to be that but just because of like where the Jedi Order was he couldn't um and like it's almost interesting to think about how different his character and his story might have been had he been able to be a way seeker in this time period um it's interesting uh but the yeah way I, he like oh go ahead oh no <laughs> oh the way he like jumps at her at obi-wan when he like says she's a way seeker like he goes she's a, she was a way seeker like his excitement and like wonder at that i i really took a note of that and i really appreciated it yeah like i i, I really like the idea that way seekers are not something because this isn't like clarified in the book but the idea that way seekers are not something that it's not forbidden to like there was no sort of statute saying okay we're not doing this way seeking thing anymore but that it just fell out of favor because it was seen as oh you're kind of going against the council like that's not really appropriate you shouldn't do that I love those hints at the subtle ways the Jedi Order has changed um, not in these like edicts basically but in just okay that's not done anymore we've we we, we don't really approve of that um I do wonder what would have happened if Qui-Gon had seen that as a viable option mm-hmm. for him. Yeah. But it, but what's funny is like, that's what Obi-Wan is doing in this book. He's mm-hmm. way seeking. He's going, mm-hmm. he is operating, uh, you know, not within the realm of the council. He, he, he's not asking them for permission. Um, he is just going and literally seeking mm-hmm. his own way. So the idea that while that might not be an official title or something that's done anymore, there's still a place for it within the order is really interesting as well. I think it may, it, I don't think it went out of style and it wasn't forbidden, but there's, um, I think it kind of evolved because in Vader 2017, there's a Jedi who takes the Barash vow, which is basically just like a, what yeah. Wayseeker does, um, where they kind of, they take a leave of absence, I think. It's not really a leave of absence. It is kind of like what Orla is doing with Elzar in, uh, I almost said fall of the Jedi, <laughs> the, in the fallen star. <laughs> where he basically like goes to a planet and tries to figure his shit out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I think it's really interesting to think about that evolution and how he and how the the Jedi that took the Barash vow was kind of like like stuck there and didn't really know about the fall of the Republic. And that's why Vader came to get his lightsaber. But yeah, I, I, I don't know why, but I think yeah. it's really interesting how they how they introduced that and how Charles Soule was mm-hmm. the first person to a he was the person to write the Vader 2017 comics, but he was then the first person to write the first book of the High Republic. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he was kind mm-hmm. of like sowing the seeds there in 2017, and then he was allowed to or he Cavan and Claudia Gray were allowed to like kind of grow that story with the Wayseekers in the High Republic. But yeah, that's just something I, I noticed. There's a character in Into the Dark who takes that same bow. Um, and Ooh. I wish we could learn more about him and what's going on with him. But he... Wait, is it Diz? Yeah. Oh, poor guy. Miss you. Poor guy. <laughs> Miss you, kid. I'd love to follow up with him, though. We don't hear about him again. Um, I, I wonder if phase three we might hear from him again. Because I would love to. And I think uh, 
I mean, it's interesting considering where like Reese's character is left off if yes. we kind of circle back with him. Yeah, yes. I, there are a lot of loose threads I would love for them to pick up again in <laughs> phase three, but you know, just putting that out into the ether. King does. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we now move on to the uh, kind of crew on how do you say the Lost Boys? The Lost People? The Lost Boys. The Lost, the lost Kids. The Lost, the lost. The lost for sensitive but not for sensitive children for sensitive uh, quote-unquote so i wrote down a couple of the main characters but if anybody wants to start out with like uh whoever they want to talk about who stood out to them the most you know? i was <laughs> just gonna say that this um this book really provided some evidence for one of my favorite stupid headcanons which i don't know do you guys have like stupid headcanons that have yeah. no bearing on yeah yeah uh, <laughs> Um, so my stupid headcanon that I am very attached to is that someone has to follow Kit Fisto around with a squirt bottle and just kind of keep it moisturized all day. Um, and, and like, that's sort of one of the duties of his Padawan is like, you gotta spray him down. If he tells you he's busy, don't listen. You gotta do it. Um, and this book provided evidence for that. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> I do like how they're like in a barrel <laughs> I do like how they're like Kit Fisto is just so strong and like alpha that he doesn't need to be in the water this all Literally, time. Like, okay. but like we see a child in the gathering episode so it's not just Kit Fisto's you know incredible Chad powers that like keeps him from drying out on land it's clearly the fact that his Padawan is following him around <laughs> squirting him down on an hourly basis just have to throw like they have like that one point remember they're carrying around on like the wet blankets yes like yes. you just see kit fisto in like the cafeteria eating his soup with like a wet blanket <laughs> over him it's like listen or he, he has... didn't want his like 2 p.m squirting and now this is the consequence <laughs> so or you know those camelbacks that are like a backpack that have both the straw and like the the straw attachment <laughs> I feel like he would either have that along with his Padawan with a squirt bottle. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's absolutely. Oh my God. <laughs> but like, it's, I mean, it's easy to joke about, but these kids in barrels is a huge no. part of the reason. <laughs> it's part of the reason Obi-Wan states. He's like, this is not, you know, any sort of quality of life for these kids. Yeah. And so he feels responsible for getting them out of this situation that's a huge driving factor in why he stays and why he feels responsible for these kids. Um, in general, I would like to say that, like, I love a shipwreck narrative. I love some, like, kids, you know, stranded on an island who need to take care of each other and make a cool little treehouse to survive. And that is exactly what we have here. So checking another box in the sort of, like, this book was written for Fern um, <laughs> checklist that I'm keeping. Yeah, well, that's like I—I I mean, I joked about like Shush being my new glove shit oh, but I do mm -hmm. find it legitimately interesting how she kind of has the struggle of like, well, you know, this is my home and I've always been here and this is my family, but like, I gotta think about myself and I gotta think about these kids who just we cannot survive in this environment. Like, yeah, this is our life, but like, what kind of life is it really if like, you know they have to stay in these barrels all the time because they can't be out of water for more than a couple of hours I can barely you know breathe and live and it's you know but that kind of inner turmoil of of what do I do um and her saying to Obi-Wan eventually like 
hey, even if they want to say like, I, I have to make the decision to leave for myself and for, uh, it's trill and whistle, right? Um, I have to make that. They're so cute. (laughs) They're not named. That's not their name. They're named after the sound. sound. (laughs) Yeah. So cute. Which really makes me wonder about Kit Fisto's name. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But like this, I think that's, uh, it's so interesting. Um, and it's such a, and that's like, it's such a hard decision to make when you're, you're 16 and you've been thrust into basically this parental role of like, yeah, eventually like I gotta look out for, for what's best for us. And right now this quite frankly is not best for us. Um, I think a lot of the, especially with these kids, like this book is in part about generational trauma and like, um, Pep said this on Dyad last night and I completely agree. I was thinking about this as well. It's about, um, like climate change, right. And your effects on the environment. Um, the fact that there's a literal gash, like wound in the earth that's been created here. Um, but I like that these kids have a different relationship to that sort of generational trauma that's been passed down to them. We are getting a buster experience. I was, I just I was just about to say, say, I was about talking about generational trauma, but we have a buster appearance. <laughs> and Buster, you know, Buster is going to share his wise words about this sure. experience, but he doesn't know anything about that because he's had such a good life. Oh, Buster. Yes. Oh, he's so Good sweet. Boy, celebrity Buster. on the pod. Our very yes. first celebrity on the pod. <laughs> Buster, do you have any words for your fans? Oh. Oh, okay. He says, <laughs> my neck, woman. <laughs> um, but yeah, that these kids have a different relationship to this inheritance that's been passed down to them. And for some of them, like Audage, right? Like the thing that makes the most sense is staying because their parents sacrificed a lot for them to be here and that's what they wanted and they need to continue this legacy versus with like we we have some characters here who are literally um suffering in a way that the others are not and have a vested interest in leaving um which I think is necessary like I if we think from a craft perspective that's a really smart move on Kirsten White's part right to to right into the narrative characters who have a reason to side with Obi-Wan sort of from the beginning. Yeah. Um I love this squad. I I love that hi. Hi. <laughs> um I love that none of them are human. I love that. I was going to um, bring that up. I think that's a a nice touch. I think to, you know, Obi-Wan is thinking about his tradition, his life, what he knows and these kids have their own sort of version of that. And he's becoming familiar with the concept of like, oh, other people have other lifestyles and um, they have to choose what they want in the same way that Obi-Wan has to choose uh, what he wants. And it just sort of comes together perfectly in that way where it's easy to stick with what you know because it's comfortable. And I think it's reasonable for Obi-Wan to also think, am I just doing this because it's the only thing I've ever uh, known to do? And to also sort of frame that sometimes leaving is the right choice and sometimes staying is the right choice. And to have two versions of that in which it depends on the people and it depends on the situation. Like it's not always right to leave. You know, some narratives I think try to push this like edgy, like no rules, no, you know, traditional, like just do your own thing. And 
realistically, that's not true for everyone. And it's so dependent on, on the world around you. So I think having a variety of, of these kids who have different reasons for wanting to stay or wanting to leave um, is reasonable. I mean, not reasonable. It, it makes sense for the story to kind of like compare to Obi-Wan. And again, another example of like really sort of well done um, crafting of the sort of same theme in a different packaging. Mm -hmm. I'm once again thinking about those panels from Ray's Age of Resistance comic about Han wanting to stay or wanting to run but that's for another episode (laughs) pain Pain. yeah and I mean I think it's really interesting too like uh, this kind of uh, both on Obi-Wan's part and on the kids part of um having to accept that your worldview isn't always like the correct one and also that sometimes you have to let go of the worldview that you knew to be true because it's just not um I mean these kids believed one thing for their entire life and then they learned that basically everything that they were told was incorrect and they're actually they've actually as they've thought the planet has been harming them but really they've been harming it and how hard that is to accept um and let go of especially when it's something that has been told to you by adults that you trust mm-hmm. and then having to kind of part of maturing is then like making your own decision and and making the right decision and in this case it was you know returning the power and leaving the planet and letting go so it could be the correct it could go back to the ecosystem that allowed it to live um and then that and- gets Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I was going to say, and that gets weaponized by Logrib by um, by using his familial kind of connection to Castle to try and convince the rest of the the lost the lost kids to stay on the planet and let him take the the power. Yeah, the power. Um, but yeah, it also it that also comes into the themes of genera- that generational trauma that are just persistent in this entire book and are persistent throughout mostly most of Star Wars, but definitely in this book <laughs> in particular. <laughs> what is Star Wars if not intergenerational oh, trauma? Oh bless you. <laughs> I will once again say I love Shush. Shush, my queen. <laughs> I love her. Also, we have a sick uh Dex Jester. Yeah. yeah in this book. <laughs> I regret not getting that mug from Celebration every single day because there's none available on the website. Oh. And honestly, I've told the story before, but I was literally gonna walk out with it and no one was gonna stop me. The only reason <laughs> I stopped it is because I <laughs> I I realized what I was doing and I put it down and the guy and the guy <laughs> literally told me you should have just taken it like nobody was gonna stop me but yeah R.I.P. the Dexter Jetster uh the Dex's diner mug that I never got but I did get the Afro shirt haha <laughs> me and liver twinning today the one piece of comic merch at celebration um I do love that the 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 sense seems to be with new Obi-Wan stuff that's coming out with the exception of the series. Um, everyone just wants Dex involved. Everyone yeah. has decided yeah. like he's <laughs> going to be here. He is integral to Obi-Wan's life, which yes, of course he is. I'm waiting uh, for his cameo in the Obi-Wan series, the miniseries coming out right now, the comics. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> um, I, uh, so 
we were talking last night about how he is the only reasonable person in Star Wars. Like he is the only rational, yeah. reasonable. Uh, he's like, hmm, these there's some child endangerment happening here. <laughs> you know, several of my coworkers have been exploded at this point. I think that perhaps this is not a good situation and we should get out of it, um, which is just such a rational and reasonable perspective to have in a world where everyone else seems to be like, this is normal. <laughs> we can put a bomb on a 16 year old ship. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Dexter Jester being the voice of reason, like that was always his role, if you think back to, like, the role he plays in Attack of the Clones, even, um, but then in uh, Brotherhood and now here, it's, like, it's very interesting to see him, like, Obi-Wan's mentor figure isn't really Qui-Gon, it's Dex, it's Dex and I he's the real, like, mentor, the wise old sort of, you know, character that uh, teaches Obi-Wan things that he wouldn't get from Qui-Gon, the sort of, like, real sort of more practical knowledge of like the inner workings of the galaxy and um I love that he has that um in his life and yeah he's just such a delight I just mm -hmm. I'm so glad he's getting his his time I think it's so funny too that like this is we're literally learning the, their origin story and now you kind of like understand why they might not want to like tell anyone that because like <laughs> what you have to go through to try to explain uh, well we met on this planet where like oh we wanted was with some kids and I was with this <laughs> guy who was actually trying to kill them and like take the planet's power <laughs> long story anyway <laughs> like it's just too much to explain to everyone yeah uh any other character that you guys want to talk about uh i will i would love to just say zavery like shape non-binary shapeshifter Thank you so much. I would like to know if anyone has told Andy Stevenson about this. I don't know if any of you guys follow their follow his work, um, but he was putting out a fan comic about Django Fett and Sam Wessel while the book of Boba Fett was coming out. And he's talked a lot about how like Sam Wessel was this incredibly important figure to him when he was a kid um, and how, you know, that there are connections between like his trans identity and like this desire to be a shapeshifter um, that just sort of like runs is a thread throughout a lot of his work. Um, and I want, someone needs to tell him, someone needs to let him know that there is a non-binary shapeshifter in this book. Cause I think, he would really enjoy it. Esther, who's your favorite character? He says, you. Oh, thank you. Oh, so true. <laughs> He's being such a little baby right now. He is just like, literally, look at him. Pocket size. Pocket size. Yeah. He is baby. <laughs> a little so baby. You're so small, aren't you? You're just this big. You're not very big, are you? A wee little lad. He's just a little one. You're too small. Little. Why aren't you? Why are you so small? We're practicing. I was gonna say we are ready for London. Oi, Mister, you me dad. Buster is the picture of Oi, Mister, you me dad. Yeah, yeah. Look at how he's so stupid. You could put him in a little hat and a little vest. Get a mm. monocle. Get a monocle. <laughs> oh, look at you. You're very serious. Oh, yes. So serious. 
Have ta- I'm so sorry Buster's to get so off track here, but like, have we ever talked about the parallels between Buster and his energy and Broom Kid from the, <laughs> the last Jedi? Yeah, he's got he's got that special thing. He's just special. So like he, he just has for something. greatness. He is. He's, he's a special boy. <laughs> Are you a special boy? <laughs> Are you a special boy? Canonically. Yes. It- like it's like um jedi if jedi can have like familiars that's like yeah he uh, buster is a broom boy's familiar yes <laughs> yeah that there's you're telling me that that like barn doesn't have a little terrier running around are you kidding me of course there is there's got to be rats there's got to be rats on canto bite there's that are like <laughs> infesting the straw for whatever those horse things are and so they have a little terrier and the little terrier is broom boy's best friend and they go on adventures together and he yeah, the British terrier also Buster. wears a little hat yeah it's very important to and he has a vest he has a vest, <laughs> he has a when, buster, vest. when buster is the first new character introduced in star wars media post rise of skywalker <laughs> then you'll see we're moving away from the skywalkers and moving towards a little dog a little dog <laughs> good for this us this is what we need yeah yeah this is the representation we need in media. <laughs> um, is there any other plot stuff that you guys wanted to talk about uh, with this book that we didn't kind of hit on at the characters? Sick Fallen Order reference with the crashed ship and them living in it. I gotta say. Also, the song Crashed Venator from the Fallen Order score? Banger. <laughs> um... I mean, I'll just kind of briefly say, you know, having the planet be like the dark side and the idea that like your fear leads to taking power and greed and like the planet becomes hostile to you and like just really well done. And I think um, really great representation of a concept that can be hard for people to understand, um, but seeing how like you think it's necessary to defend yourself and you need to protect yourself and you need this power because if you don't have it, you know, the people you love will die. And it's like, yeah, but you didn't need to do any of this in the first place, right? Like this was a road you didn't need to go down anyway. So um, just, yeah, really well done. And um, yeah. Uh, Next, we'll go into connections to other Star Wars media. We talked already about the High Republic, but I'm gonna turn it over to Julia for the little Satine nugget that we got. Um, yeah, so uh, I, first of all, Kristen White uh, gave an interview before this book came out when she was talking about how there are no romantic subplots for Obi-Wan in this book. And a big reason for that is like, she feels like in her mind, like she doesn't wanna take away from that sort of first big romance, which like Kirsten, that's bold of you to assume they're ever gonna write it, even though, I'll say this, I'll say this as many times as I need to say it. They're throwing away money by not having this book existing. I don't, they, so many people are so insanely fond of this trip and so want to see this year of his life that it's wild to me that they refuse to just like the print the money that it will make if they do it. But that's a story for another time. Um, This reference to, so there's a lot in this book in which, there are references to things that will happen that could absolutely be jarring or like um, uncomfortable. Um, 
I don't mean to be like ragging on the series because it was really well done. But for example, when he says hello there, like I kind of thought it was cringy. Like I just felt like it was kind of obvious. It didn't seem like it seemed unnecessary, right? But there are moments in this book, for example, where things are really on the nose and yet it feels like an almost like, um, not a hagiography in like a saint way, but like this is just the story of his character and it's been written so long. But the way that Satine is described here felt like a validation for me because I feel like she is often mischaracterized and like his relationship with her is mischaracterized in a way that misses the point of that relationship. And so to see Kirsten White, <laughs> uh, I just want to read this passage because it is so funny to me. Um, he's talking about like relationships and he says, and besides, Obi-Wan said, rushing to change the subject for himself more than anyone, I would never want to be in a relationship with a leader too close to politicians or royalty. I'm sure if I ever fell in love, it would be with someone calm, peaceful, easy to get along with. <laughs> um, and I just think that that like challenge, that friction, um, the idea that like, this is not just some um, simple romance that Satine and Obi-Wan challenged each other in a way that was um, engaging and was part of the reason why they fell in love with each other is important to me. It's also important to me for Satine to be represented as complex and that she is not nice, nice, flowery, pretty lady. Like she has her own political beliefs. She has her own goals. She's not a pushover. She sort of challenges Obi-Wan and everything. And to so see that wrapped up in like one really short passage in that way was for me, very satisfying and hits at a lot of what I love about the relationship um, in a really creative way. Um, and I just thought that that was really beautiful. Anyway, you're throwing away money, Lucasfilm. I don't just serious. I don't, it's crazy to me that they, <sighs> I agree. And I also think like, I do think like, it's interesting to see that some of the best reaction to Star Wars books is often the ones that have romance as like mm -hmm. a central pot like everyone's like oh lost stars is like one of the most popular star wars books and that right. at its core is like a, a romance people love seeing um like i remember like people went crazy when there were the references to you know padman and Kinnan, uh queen's hope and brotherhood that like people want this romance really badly so people like yeah. if they and this is an established pre-established romance that they also don't have to think about like, oh, where's this gonna go? We know. Right. So just write the- Yeah, well, I think for like Midnight Horizon, Lula and Zine's forbidden love, like so it's good, so engaging, right? Like- I will leave this podcast right <laughs> I will leave this podcast. <laughs> anyway, I was, I was no, gonna say good. Princess and the Scoundrel High Rise, but mm -hmm. anyway, after oh, I was I, attacked- could, verbally. <laughs> could we start a conspiracy theory that the reason they haven't published a year on the run book is because they're waiting for Julia they're like oh we know Julia <laughs> is like busy with her PhD like mm -hmm. once she's done with that we're gonna hire her of course um sure. like the you know sort of the the quirky expert um really mm -hmm. I mean look it doesn't field. help it doesn't help my tinfoil hat theory that they have like Corky disappeared. They can't write this book about the year they were together. Satine references have disappeared. I'm like, yeah, you know what you did. You set up one solution to the problem and now you can't work, your, you, ha you can't do anything. And so you have to just act like it didn't happen or else you'll have to address the baby in the room that you made, David. 
David, this was all your, <laughs> David, you did this. I didn't do it, David. You did. You wrote this. David's, and like, now- David's like, I love using Bo-Katan. Too bad she doesn't have any family we can <laughs> It's so weird that she just like sprung it's up so without weird any sort of. That she like doesn't have like a motivation for the reason why she, anyway. It's fine. It's not weird at all that Corgi disappears um, completely and um, they can't, you know, give us a story about the year they spent together because we've done the math and they've realized the mistake that they've made. (laughs) What you call tinfoil hatting, we call Pepe Sylvia jiffing. This is Pepe Sylvia jiffing at its core. (laughs) Look, I've literally never been wrong um, about this ever. So, but um, um, before this book came out, I was like, okay, here's why Pablo Hidalgo wrote that they were 15 when they met. It's because of this reference in this um, Star Wars Insider magazine in which the um, Mandalorian Civil War says happened approximately 20 years before the start of the Clone Wars. So that would make Obi-Wan uh, 15 because he's 20, uh, 35 in the Clone Wars, but that's an approximate date and there's no story attached. So if a story appears that changes the timeline, it will sort of um, alter the timeline. And I think that this is an approximation that's a placeholder until we get the actual story. And then Padawan comes out and he's 16 and he hasn't met Satine yet. And I'm like, I have been telling you this. I already knew that this is why this was the date. Um, and I just think they know that I know. And I just kind of feel okay, like- Okay, hang on. I want to I want to say something here, which is that yeah. they literally know that Julia knows because she mm-hmm. did tweet all of this to Pablo. I was like, hey, Pablo, did- is this- is this what's happening? And he's like, yeah. He's like, yeah. <laughs> no like, way. Good Twitter friend, Pablo Hidalgo. Yeah, no. Um, One time I was, when I was still on Twitter, I don't know what I was, I asked a question about Corky and I'm like, I'm so sorry. This is annoying. He's like, I, Julia, I know where the Corky tweets are coming from. Like, it's okay. He, I know. Well, no, he literally at one point was like, Julia, I know exactly what you're about. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know what you want. Like, thank you. Like, at least we're honest with each other. Anyway, I've never predicted or thought of something and asked and been wrong so um it's they're trying they, I'm playing 5d chess with Dave Filoni at all times <laughs> he made a promise to George when he left and like had to swear on like blood or something and um I believe I, this I have we ever honestly, we've never seen Dave Filoni's palm to confirm that he doesn't had to have to do like a blood <laughs> oath with George Lucas <laughs> Yeah, but he's like, uh, before I leave, David, you must you must destroy the Kenobi child. And he's like, okay. He's like tears streaming <laughs> down his face. Like, no. We know there's a quirky, we know there's a crazy family tree. Yeah. This is not the point of this he podcast knows it episode. Exists. Pablo knows it exists. The Sam Whitmore knows it exists. Is like, I, I was not, <laughs> he does now. Um, I, I was not on board, like, I don't want to say on board with this, but like, I was not in any way attached to the Quirky Kenobi theory before I met Julia. Like, it was not something Many that I, worked. right. <laughs> um, I, I didn't feel any way about it, but you just, pre- like, you present such compelling evidence that it is literally the only thing that makes sense. Like, I completely believe that George Lucas was like, no, sorry, like, you can't do this. I know you have this plan, but it messes with my idea of Obi-Wan Kenobi, so you can't. And that's why we're in this, like, horrible fucking limbo that we're in now. But well, it's yeah, just because like- they, yeah, they can't, he set up his answer 
to the question. And then George was like, that can't be the answer, but he can't undo the setup. And so it's just sitting there. And like all of this attempt to like undo it is kind of silly because they haven't actually done anything to change the actual, like it's, yeah, I'll, I could go. This is so off topic. It's and they also off. like tomorrow could put out a Cruise family tree, right? They yeah. could be like, oh, you know, promo for Mando season Mando- three. Like, here's this family tree. But, like, they could end it tomorrow if they wanted to. Um, but they and won't maybe they let won't me rest. Knows. But like, yeah, they're <laughs> anyway, that is not the point of this episode. But I just find it very suspicious that like it's like defloating of all people who loves his silly little glove shittos is just like and has now like reincorporated the creases and loves to shove random characters into places where they don't necessarily belong has been like we're just not gonna quirky yeah i don't know what happened to him Dave, Dave Filoni does one thing he loves everything's a dad it's all dads all the way down it's dads and glove shooters all the way down he had to wear like look i can see what's happening i can see what he was trying to do he said I'm going to make it all dads. And George was like, no, not all of it. Anyway. One this is how the- Star Wars TikTok is infiltrating Lucasfilm. Yeah. I was putting like, that in the feelers. future, Dave Filoni is going to come out with his autobiography and he's going to talk about his time working at Lucasfilm and he's going to mention this and Julia will be validated. <laughs> yeah. You can do it. He, you can, David, if you're listening, you can do whatever you want. Um, he, you don't have to be afraid of him anymore. Um, he had lots of great ideas, but some of them were also bad. And we all have good and bad ideas. Um, be brave. Follow your heart. Dave, <laughs> if you can put Ahsoka in, in the book of Boba Fett, you, you can, can talk you about can you follow you Kenobi. Can, you can do anything. <laughs> Truly. But I, I, it's, it's a brain worm that I have. I'm sorry. No. We know all about brainworms. This podcast is all about random tangents. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there were any other references that stuck out to people. Um, I just want to say that, like, because we've already talked about the connection to Orla Jereni, I do think it's very funny that uh, Obi Wan did one Google search of Comac Vetus's name and was like. <laughs> boring he googled and went hmm, nothing more like, to see this? there what's this about running into the woods anyway uh, <laughs> but um, oh his oh his padawan became uh, a knight at 19 moving up <laughs> i don't want to hear about it um so i think that's really funny but also i will say so like i i love or i love Orla and Comac. Um, they're wonderful characters. And I think, can we get into High Republic spoilers? Is that all right? I don't want to. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've, read, okay. I've read the high, I've read the adult books and the comics. So. Okay. Okay. So, um, I, you know, I had not fully processed Orla's death in The Fallen Star. Um, I knew that it happened, right? Like it's sad. I knew that it happened, but it hadn't fully hit for me. Um, until I read this book and we hear this message that she left for anyone who comes after her to this planet and Obi-Wan thinks about how like she went to help another Jedi and she never made it back 
I could scream right now. <laughs> I'm not going yeah. to because that would be a bad audio experience. But like, <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, wow, that really, really hit for me. Um, because we knew what was going to happen to Orla, or like those of us who are familiar with the High Republic, mm-hmm. knew what was going to happen to this character. Or even if you don't, we know that most of the characters from this era era have died by this point, right? This is 250 mm-hmm. years later. Like most of these characters are dead. Um. But I did not think that she went straight from here to help Elzar and then to Starlight Beacon. And that was it. Like, you know, I I had not thought that that was a possibility that those things happened so close together. Um, And it it hit me in a way that like even the Fallen Star itself did not Mm. quite sort of reach emotionally. Um, Yeah. Not to get back on my Obi-Wan and Elzar train, but um, (laughs) the idea that you feel like there are these people who are helping you, who are mentoring you, who die, who leave, who are sort of tragically taken from you, and you're left to sort of figure it out is, especially if you don't feel like you deserve it, or you don't feel like you're doing everything you can to be the best version of the Jedi that you can be, that is a similar place that they are in and I think that sense of like tragedy and sacrifice um is another way that Orla and Qui-Gon are connected um in that um desire to to help to help people to help their friends um whether that's trying to help Anakin or you know whatever the case may be and um how that can lead to you know tragic results and that was just another beautiful connection that I really enjoyed yeah even the idea because there is a connection here as well um to Dooku right and how Mm -hmm. he has left the order and will Qui-Gon follow and etc um and Obi-Wan sort of realizes that what it means to be a Jedi at least for him is doing what Orla did and abandoning her own interests and her own uh you know work to go help a friend not even a friend actually right like she doesn't know Elzar some guy um some (laughs) friend of a friend (laughs) but you know go help another Jedi and that selflessness and how Dooku leaving the order is about him putting his own interests and his own um like, I mean, for, for him, it's like quite literal that like he's going to rule a planet, mm-hmm. right? He is going to take on this like political leadership role um, that is going to benefit him. Um, and so we don't know, of course, or we know, but he doesn't know at this point what is going to um, sort of become of Dooku. But I thought it was a compelling argument for the Jedi Order and their mm-hmm. whole deal and philosophy. And I know this is something people have complicated feelings about, and my feelings don't necessarily reflect how everyone sees this group of people um, and this tradition. But like the idea that what is important about Orla is yes, that she goes and she seeks her own way and she, you know, is laying out this sort of roadmap for Obi-Wan, but also that part of that roadmap is giving up her own work to go help someone else that that is like at the center of what it means to be a Jedi for him I think it it was just so smart right like I I Mm. wish I knew um and I hope we get to talk to Kirsten White about this like eventually Mm -hmm. um but I want to ask her about what that 
process mm-hmm. was of knowing that the High Republic stuff was coming out and knowing like what exactly the story was there and finding a way to weave that into what we see um, in this book. So true. It hit me. I mean, like just anytime, like seeing Orla and Kovac's name together again always kind of like hits me like a ton of bricks. Um, mm. Their relationship is like so special uh to me and like you know imagining them as padawans like Mm. making a little they're carving their initials into the wall uh just is it's so sweet and yeah makes things like uh in midnight horizon Mm. hurt even more um (laughs) because like I think uh like I, I mean I said this before but like in um basically like losing Orla is what Comac yeah but finding Orla is what made Obi-Wan stay um yeah yeah, but just that difference uh anyway Obi-Wan go go back research Comac again (laughs) (laughs) he was doing some really interesting work he was like archiving some Mm -hmm. you know important historical documents so like that's very interesting and you should definitely go back and check up on that I also like how they had like had to be like we're not gonna talk about Kovac yet because like we don't really technically mm-hmm. I mean, there's still there's still a lot of things they could do with this character in Phase mm-hmm. Three and like their his story probably isn't over so they're like can't commit to anything <laughs> there. <laughs> but Orla, we're good. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on Padawan? Two thumbs up. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, lo- really love and appreciate the Siri Tachi reference. Yes. Um, for all the Jude Watson girlies out there, she's here. We hear her speak for the first time in canon. She's very cool and very competent, which, you know, sort of tracks with the women that Obi-Wan spends his time with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just like would love to know when she grows up and she has a Padawan of her own, as we see in Brotherhood, I would just love to know what his name is and mm-hmm. if by any chance sounds like Barris Poland, you know, something rhymes like that or something, right? Yeah, Yeah, I would love to know. Just so Lucasfilm, if you could just sort of (laughs) really close that that chapter. Yeah, 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 would love to know about Siri Tachi's Padawan, just for no reason at all. Just would like to hear about him anyway. (laughs) All right, hopefully, maybe Siri Tachi lived. (laughs) Literally, literally, okay, no. So, but because this is a world in which her Padawan makes it to knighthood and sort of graduates at the same time as Anakin, which is not what happens in Legends. Uh, And so maybe things turn out different. And also it seems like she and Obi-Wan do not necessarily have the intimate relationship that they have in Legends. So I, you know, maybe that means she's not going to die in his arms. (laughs) I personally would love. I know it's really extending things by a few years (laughs) because there's an inevitable conclusion for me most of these Jedi but I would love if Siri Tachi were still out there kicking and if oh her God, Padawan Siri, was doing the same. Siri Tachi in Jedi Survivor? Please pause. I would pause. I would hold on. 
The name sounds familiar. Good. Continue. Continue. I'll, I have to do my research. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's great. I. <laughs> she looks like the '90s girl boss. Like she is quintessential '90s girl boss. I thought she was so cool when I was 13 years she old. She is. She cool, was like though. this hot, like blonde in a jumpsuit who was like mean mm-hmm. to Obi Wan and super competent, but like nice to everyone else. I was obsessed mm-hmm. with her. Um, and she has this great Padawan who, if we want to talk about queer representation for a second, and I know this is a rabbit hole, um, Ferris Olin was like a gay character in 2005, like Jude Watson was really doing the work. And I will say she doesn't use that word, right? Like she uses the word partner, not husband, um, because it was 2005 and these were books for, for kids, but like (laughs) she was, it's amazing when you think about like what she was doing with that character literally decades before anyone else sort of like got on board and were brave enough to do the same. So I love Ferris Olin very much. I love that it's canon that Siri had a Padawan and if they could just sort of confirm for me, if we could just get a name on that one, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. Also, my research was fruitless. Carry on. <laughs> Um, if there are no other final thoughts, we can move into our Kessel Run book club for this week. So I'll turn it over to Liv and Hay and uh-huh. potentially Julia uh, to talk about the comics that came out this week. So for Kessel Run Relay book club, Kessel Run book club, <laughs> our comic segment for this week, we had two new releases this week. Um, we have... Obi-Wan number three, the the middle of this kind of Obi-Wan miniseries is coming out right now. And then we have Dr. Aphra 22, which Julia, do you read Dr. Aphra or have you been keeping I have not read uh, Dr. Aphra. I have been reading the Obi-Wan comics though. Swag. So I think we can start (laughs) off with, (laughs) we can start off with Obi-Wan number three, AKA the Cody Wan Joker. Um, (laughs) I think we have, I have spoken about this before, the Obi-Wan series thus far has not really been doing it for me. However, this issue was incredible, not only because it highlights um, Obi-Wan's relationship with the clones in general, mm-hmm. but we it highlights most, most kind of most majorly his relationship with Commander Cody. Uh, mm-hmm. Shout out to Jess at Kawaii Jessica <laughs> because this truly was the Cody Wan Joker. Mm-hmm. This, I am also a big fan of the Clone Wars. I just, I love the show. I used to watch it almost every single day, but we really don't get to see a lot of this kind of pre-established relationship mm-hmm. that Obi-Wan has with Commander Cody. And they have the rapport that we see in the Clone Wars and in Revenge of the Sith, but we just we just don't know how it got there. But here we see literally at the very beginning of the Clone Wars, the start mm-hmm. between Keno- Kenobi, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Obi-Wan <laughs> and Commander Cody's relationship. And it really shows them it's kind of literally by a trial by fire and how mm-hmm. they work with each other. Um, there's one panel in particular where it's very reminiscent of the, the cover of Brotherhood where Obi-Wan's mm-hmm. kind of like swinging low and Anakin is high, but it's, I don't know which page it is, but it's Obi-Wan swinging, swinging his lightsaber low and Cody shooting up high. Mm-hmm. And it, again, it highlights his relationship the the Jedi's relationship with the, with the clones in general, but most importantly, Obi-Wan's relationship with Cody, which we haven't gotten a lot about in canon. And I'm liking that they're gonna introduce more about Cody in canon. Uh, 
Julia, your thoughts? Um, I mean, I think, you know, I agree in terms of the comic series. It kind of feels like, um, I mean, I'm always going to want more in-depth than, um, I, I don't really get comic books. Like, I, I don't understand them as a genre. My brain has a hard time understanding them um, because I'm just so used to things like novels or plays or whatever the case may be. Um, I really loved the first issue. I loved seeing little baby Obi-Wan um, yeah. and his first blonde, competent girl boss. <laughs> girlfriend. <laughs> um, but, you know, the second one, this, he, got, he fought a werewolf. So like, I can't complain. I'm not gonna be mad about that. Um, but here getting to see a little bit more of his sense of uh, a duty, of, like a Jedi in war and sort of how complicated that is. But his sense of like, um, I mean, obviously the panel where he's like, I miss him to this day, even though he tried to kill me, such it is with friends, like thinking about the levels of regrets he must have. And that's just something that like, I feel, it feels like I'm like a big Obi-Wan Kenobi series hater, which is not entirely true. Um, but like the fact that this comic is him sitting down writing his, his essentially like regrets in many ways, and he would regret, um, he would miss Cody. It's sort of seeing him remember this story and remember this idea of like having to be reminded of the importance of hope, even when hope feels like it's gone, is so central to his character. Um, that is something that I was missing out of the series is a recognition of the other things that he has lost. Um, and it is thematic because it's similar. It kind of felt like something, you know, they could explore. So um, anything like, to be completely honest with you, I, I, I like the beginning parts when Obi-Wan is doing his like voiceover in his journal and I like the end when he's like uh, reflecting because Obi-Wan is a beautiful writer. Like this series is yeah. anything is he's like a really good writer, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the actual like war stories are never as interesting to me, but his reflections on that is what I'm like here for, I guess. Agreed. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think this kind of anthology format of Obi-Wan telling these war stories as he's sitting basically days before mm -hmm. New Hope. Do you yeah. think it's working? Um, Just in general? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know because the thing about an anthology is it's going to be hit or miss depending on each um, issue. And I think like as much as I love slice of life Obi-Wan content, I, I do truly love it. We have the Clone Wars. Um, we have a sort of larger part of his life where we get to see sort of day-to-day, day-to-day life. I, I love the first episode of the series where he's just doing his little daily routine. That's so special. But if this is him at the end of his life reflecting, I, and this is, what you expect and what you get doesn't mean it's it's wrong. Personally, if he's reflecting at the end of his life, I wanted heavy hitters. I wanted every issue to be thinking about Cody, thinking about Satine, thinking about Anakin, thinking about the twins, like truly reflecting on the most impactful moments of his life. Um, now you could make textually the argument that he's unable to do that. Fern and I talk about all the time, whether or not Obi-Wan's capable of telling his own story. But knowing where he is now, knowing where he is in A New Hope, I think he is capable of that at this point in his life. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's it's bad because I don't like it. Um, I just think if this is really him writing his memoirs, for lack of a better word, I think there was an opportunity to really go hard. And maybe the comics aren't just aren't the place to do that. Um, but 
who knows? I don't know. I, I, I think they're fun. I think if you're an Obi-Wan fan, you kind of have to read them, but, um, personally something like Padawan, that's like a deep introspective look at a character is always going to be more my, uh, my cup of tea. No, I agree completely. I've, again, I've said before, this series is not really working for me. Um, I do, I do, again, just going into more like technical aspects. I do like the fact that they switch artists in between mm. the time when he's writing and the time when he's, when he's recounting his tales. Yeah, yeah, but this true. issue, this issue, they didn't do it. They just had the, the whole issue being written by this one guy, which really doesn't mm. track with what they've done in the other issues. And I didn't really like that. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I still really enjoyed this um, this issue. It's my it's been my favorite of the Obi Wan series so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a bit of a different look into Obi Wan just during the Clone Wars in general, and again his relationship with Commander Cody. And this is really a, an issue about regret. And like you said, mm-hmm. it's it's regret, but not the regret that we maybe need to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, overall, again, this is my favorite issue of the of the series so far. Uh, I loved the art style, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. Even though I didn't like the fact that it didn't switch between uh, artists again, I still really appreciated the style. Mm. I think it's been my favorite of the of the issue so far. But yeah, uh, Cody One Joker. Um, I would say two and a half, three out of five. I don't know why I'm yeah. giving star reviews all of a sudden, but it it it, it feels <laughs> right. It feels right. So now we move on to Dr. Afra 22 by the beautiful, lovely Alyssa Wong. Uh, this was, this was, we had jokers this week. Okay. <laughs> this was the Cody one joker. This was the Afra joker. Oh my God. So it has kind of like the same format as the, as both Target Vader and the Obi-Wan series in that it has different artists for the present time. And then the recounted times, except the recounted times in this issue are basically just like memories from Afro's past that the Ascendant is kind of going in and messing around with. Um, it's a really, really good look at Afra as a character, because if, if you're not familiar with Afra for both the listeners and you guys on, on here today, um, Afra is basically someone who, she's a backstabber, is just like the most simplest way I could put it. She will kiss you and then leave you out high and dry. And the Ascendant is in Afra's mind currently and making her rethink all of her betrayals and her backstabbing. And it's a way for her to kind of see from an outside perspective what she's doing to other people. And I, I love this. I love this issue so much. I have not been, I don't want to say, I don't want, I haven't been the biggest fan of the, of the Afro series. It's just, I, I'm more focused on bounty hunters right now. I, (laughs) um, I, I am trying to reread the uh, 2016 Afro series. I'm, I'm on issue 10 but I haven't been able to pick it up because I had to read Shadow of the Sith and then I had to read this and then I have other stuff. Bounty Hunters. Bounty Hunters. Bounty Hunters. Oh God. <laughs> that, <laughs> we, we can get into that in, in a later episode. However, this was a very good introspective look into Afra's character overall. I loved it. We got, oh, you know what we did get? We got the first, um, mention or rather appearance of afra's droids in this in this run bt bt1 not bd1 bt1 and triple zero are going to make an appearance in the next issue and 
basically they're just really fucked up droids <laughs> that is the most like core tenet of them is that they're just fucked up droids like and if you think chopper is fucked up oh my no, god he's not <laughs> he does not hold a candle to these motherfuckers <laughs> i i can't wait for the next issue uh, apparently kira has them somehow i don't know how but she, apparently after game to kira so true uh, but yeah very nice introspective look at Afra's character and I will stop talking now. Liv, what are your thoughts? Um, I also am not super into Afra. I love her, but I just I don't know. Bounty I'm hunters. So more focused on bounty hunters, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was really cool to like go back and look into her all of her memories. Um and also I don't know what it is. I really love the art in this me too issue like there is that one panel yep i have it open literally right here yep <laughs> of all the afras like side by side kind of grabbing mm-hmm. for the artifacts that's just it's so cool to me it's beautiful like it. let's be real <laughs> also, and also we get to see kira again in oh we're, we're definitely going to also ascendant afro is hot have we not talked about so that true <laughs> basically there's just a lot of gay people in this series so if you need a reason to uh to read afra that's why also afra choking herself and licking her fingers did we not talk about that oh there it is but we (laughs) yeah we can (laughs) let's go lesbians let's go that's all i will say oh my god also i Uh, love the little the little bat creature thing that's the 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 fan. She's so cute. Shout out to Daniel Jose Older. Because that's his glove shit Okay. Shout out to Josh at Coughing Skywalker. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's his really representing. Yeah, that's, his, that's his guy. Yeah. That's his little guy. Uh, Overall, I really liked this issue in particular. Uh, Again, I still need to go back and reread both the 2016 mini or er, full length series and the... um. The current issues up to this point, yeah. Uh, because I read them all last year when I read the rest of the Star Wars comics, and the, there's a lot of knowledge up here. Um, I would give this solid four out of five stars. Yeah. I don't know if you agree. I agree. Solid. Also, the covers for this series so far, fucking beautiful. Like, that goes hard. I was literally just looking at it, and I didn't notice, like, the, the Afra kind of... The yelling Afra? Yeah, I didn't notice that until, mm. like, five minutes ago, so... Yeah, the, these covers are great. Um, overall, the issues this week, I would say really great. Um, the the Obi-Wan, I've already talked about Obi-Wan. Afra, I'm really excited to see where it goes. Uh, but yeah, solid two thumbs up from me. I don't know if Liv agrees. Yes, Swag money. And then <laughs> <laughs> looking ahead, just in the release calendar, we only have one Star Wars comic comic coming out next week and it is house y'all legacy five featuring zuckus it's a bounty hunters issue shout out to my birthday it's for my birthday yeah (laughs) shout out to ethan who's a bestie of the pod it's got bosk it's got zuckus it's got four lom it's got toga we got Toga. um yeah i'm no we're not very (laughs) sure stop don't even fucking start (laughs) We, we we had a bit of a moment last night because of Ethan's ominous gifs. I'm pretty sure you saw that on the timeline. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Ethan, if you heard Zuckus in this issue on Liv's birthday, she's going to come for your throat at <laughs> celebration. 
He's I'm gonna have to go into a witness. Him down. <laughs> I'm I'm going to New York City, uh, right before okay. I leave to school. So okay. so you need to do some research for me. <laughs> only if he only if he hurts Zuckus though. Yeah. Okay, I promise I will. Thank you. So, <laughs> on that note, Emily, what are you reading this week? Um, last weekend I sat down and I read reread Rail Rising in two days because I'm very mentally ill. Uh, <laughs> um that I um anyway that book means uh, uh more to me than I could ever fully express uh I don't know why Beth Remus did that to me personally Mm. (laughs) but uh it's very good and if you haven't read it you should read it especially with Andor coming up Mm. um and it seems like Saw is going to be in it and this book is in my opinion, probably the best intro uh, section we've ever gotten about Saw's character. It's still not from his point of view, uh, which I'd really like to see, but this, I think, actually looks at Saw in a way that is very uh, nuanced and actually kind of works to understand why he mm-hmm. is the way that he is and why he chooses to fight the Empire in the way that he does. Um, and also, you know, you give anybody a child and it, and it kind of humanizes them. Uh, I then read a book called A Hope Divided, which is a civil war uh, historical romance. It was very good. It was about this, um, uh, this freed black woman who she's like the half daughter of like a rich uh, man. Um, and she's kind of her and her sister are kind of trying to like help the cause while living in like the confederate south and uh she is helping in a, like a confederate prison and then the prisoner escapes and he like hides in her like this room in her uh in a room and a relationship and it's actually really uh interesting kind of view and uh very good written by a black woman so there's uh always love uh supporting you know women of color writing romances uh and then I'm currently reading I actually very excitingly uh when I got a neck alley I was like I'll just throw in for an arc for one of my most anticipated reads of the year and then I got an email it's like this is on your shelf and I was like uh so it's Carrie Soto is back by Taylor Jenkins Reid I love um her work so much this like the fourth book and like it's not a series, but they're like kind of like interconnected books um, that are kind of like historical. Uh, so each of them takes place in like a different decade. Um, so this one is about a tennis player in the 90s who her basically like she's won like the most grand slams and that's about to be taken away from her. She just comes back out of retirement to try to defend her her title. Um, and it's really interesting. And I love the way that this author writes female characters, particularly uh women who are often and are often perceived as um like unlikable and like bitchy by uh society like she's like this character is like she's very competitive and like there's all this kind of discussion you see by like they film like transcripts of like sportscasters where they're like oh she's like you know they say she's this but like they she's such like a bitch and like she doesn't uh she's not like the celebrity that we want um and I think it's really interesting and I'm very excited that I got 
an arc of that because uh, that also would have been a lot for me to try to process because it comes out on it came out on October 30th so me trying to read this and also <laughs> process and or stuff would have been a lot for me personally yeah but yeah uh Fern and Julia do you have any books that you're reading you want to uh, talk about I'm reading right now so I've gone down like a Tolkien rabbit hole which always happens this time of year this is my like I'm going back to school it's time to just sort of comfort myself in the warm embrace of Hobbit core wear a lot of vests and whatnot <laughs> but I'm reading the unfinished tales right now and I like them so much which I was not not expecting like I read the Silmarillion um and I liked it and I was really into it while I was reading it. And then I stopped reading it and almost everything just escaped my brain immediately, right? Like, I don't remember a lot of the specifics from the Silmarillion, um, but the characters in the Unfinished Tales feel so real in a way. And like, I feel like I know them. Um, they're really vividly raw and a lot of the sort of like horrible things that happened to them in the Silmarillion, I'm just waiting for it to happen to them in the Unfinished Tales in greater detail. So that's great and fun. Um, but I also just recently finished reading a book called, sorry, none of this is Star Wars. I just finished reading a linked short story collection called She is Haunted by Paige Clark. Um, which I read because one of the stories in the collection was published on Electric Lit, which is a great um, website if you are into like literary fiction and poetry. Um, and it was amazing when I read it on there. So I was like, okay, I'll check out the whole collection. This collection is beautiful and weird and interwoven in a way that like, I don't want to say I haven't seen before because in some ways it feels very familiar, um, but it, it it extends beyond just like, this is the same character that we're seeing repeated or, oh, this is the same town that all these stories take place in. Um, there, there are versions of characters that are not the same from one story to another that have like maybe one sort of point of reference that unites them, but they are completely different people than we see earlier on in the book or later in the book. And um, just in terms of like speculative literary fiction, um, it's, it's funny, it's beautifully written. Um, the connections like light my brain on fire um, between like the links between the stories. And I just want to recommend it to everyone. It's one of those books that like, I wish I could recommend and maybe, like, I don't know, maybe I will, who knows? Like, I wish I could recommend to my students um, but like there at parts, like it is more adult in content. So, you know, I, I worry about that. Like I, I worry about um, like parents being uncomfortable with their students being, you know, recommended uh, content that might be seen as like more adult, but like just really beautiful writing. Um, and, and if that is your bag, if you like short literary fiction and short speculative fiction, highly highly recommend she is haunted by Paige Clark I think it's like the best thing I've read in the past few years so yeah um so a fun fact about me is that I don't actually read all that much um I read Star Wars books and that's about it and there's there's a reason for this so um 
my area of study does not involve books at all. Um, I, I am primarily an early modern drama uh, researcher and an adaptation researcher. So I watch a lot of film adaptations of Shakespeare and I'm writing my dissertation on video game adaptations of early modern literature. So most of what I spend my time doing is playing video games and watching things. I don't actually read all that much. Um, I haven't read like novels since probably high school and it's sad because I do miss that. So I mostly read Star Wars books if I'm reading a book book. Um, like literally right now, the book I'm reading is called A Multimodal Approach to Video Games and the Player Experience because it's a nonfiction book about that for my dissertation, right? <laughs> um, so uh, I don't really have any book recommendations. I wish I had the time to like spend reading um, novels, but it's funny, you don't really realize I didn't realize until I got to this point that like my ranking of media that I like is video games number one, film and TV number two, books number three, no, plays number three, drama number three, um, books number four, like an actual novel, which is I think what you think of with like an English instructor, English teacher is pretty low on my list um, of things that I like prefer media I prefer to be a part of. So um there's uh, a couple new Star Wars books coming out that I, I probably want to read. Um, but other than that, I am not, a, I don't really read other than Star Wars books, which is kind of sad probably, but I've got a lot, I've got a lot of other stuff I have to spend time immersing myself in. So um, that would be a goal for mine after I graduate is to actually read novels again uh, for fun because I just don't when it comes to like the end of the day and I want to relax I'm like I want to play Skyrim I don't want to read a book so that's that's just who I am so I'm playing Skyrim that's my book recommendation is the video game Skyrim so true yeah I actually just remembered I am also reading Daredevil 2015 uh, by Charles Soule a bestie of the the podcast uh and if you're looking for daredevil recommendations it's it's actually really similar to padawan in a way and how Mm. it's it's daredevil but he's constantly rethinking like what it means to be daredevil and he there's one panel where he's like if if you can't what what is being i don't remember what the panel is but it's basically about him talking about the core tenets of daredevil and him and I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. All, of, all I'm going to say is that it's great. Charles Soule is a stunning writer. And it makes it even better because um, Daredevil is a lawyer. And Charles Soule used to be a lawyer before he became a writer. And so it's very it's very funny in that meta context. But yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. And of course, my Body Hunters reread and my Afro reread. And somehow Midnight Horizon and Princess and the Scoundrel and a bunch of other Star Wars books. <laughs> I was thinking of starting um, Into the Dark, maybe. You should. Ooh. Yay! Reed, so my special boy. Reed. He's he's a special, special boy. He is. <laughs> and I don't give out the title of special, special boy lightly. Like, the, every special, special boy has to compete against Corky in my heart, which is, like, very hard. So <laughs> wow. Reed should be honored that he is also a special, special boy. <laughs> the way that I would, like, like, you know, you have different fictional characters. You have, like, crushes. You have, like, whatever. Reed is, like, my little brother. Like, Aww. that's what Reef is. He's like my yeah. fictional little brother. I just want to protect him. Yeah, 100%. Special, yes, read into the dark. It's very good. 
um well thank you guys so much for joining us on this podcast it's you uh you all should follow star wars english class because they are much smarter than us yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, as you can see very very well spoken thank you guys so much for coming on we really appreciate it um and yeah make sure to follow julia and fern and also listen to their podcast star wars english class uh you can follow us on social media. Uh, our links will be in the description. If you guys want to send us any questions, feel free to do that either uh, through our email, which we'll also have in the description, or through our Twitter. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. May the force be with you. <laughs>